David, are you recording? Yes, I am. It's wonderful to hear. Welcome back, Red Spotters. Another show the Red Spotlight Podcast. I'm your host, Alexis, joined by David Francisco here on Red Spotlight number 412. Bringing you all of the latest stories coming out of the world of movies and more. And speaking of the world of movies, a lot of people were seemingly caught off guard by how well uh, the latest Dragon Ball film and anime in general uh, performed at the box office. And we'll get into all of that as well as, of course, a full breakdown and review of the film itself now that I have been able to experience the movie, that is. And then also... I guess we're talking about She-Hulk this week, and I'm not even sure what else there is. Uh, I'm not aware if Mr. Francisco has seen House of the Dragon. Uh, Have you? You've seen it? Okay, so we can talk about that as well. I have not had the chance to, and I'm not even sure about... I think I will catch it, but I'm not sure if I want to dive in on a week-to-week. And if I'm being honest with you, I basically started a new job this week. It's the same job, but just with more responsibility. So, like, this week has been, like, jam-packed of, like... I work at a school, and I'm basically a teacher, and it's the first week of school this week. So, um, if you remember how those were... <laughs> um, I It's that, and then also staff meetings and other kind of expectations and planning and a whole bunch of... Uh, mental gymnastics in my mind trying to figure out how to do any of this without any training whatsoever so it's um it's been a week so Mm. i've i've had no time for the targaryens or um (laughs) who you know wants to dick around and get on the iron throne but i'm sure we'll have plenty of that here and more on red spotlight so let's let's we'll go ahead and begin with house of the dragon and we do have some news that broke of the date of this recording already been renewed for a second season which is kind of uh interesting in a way it's not too surprising because of course game of thrones is a powerhouse franchise and i think maybe this is proof that um it was able to survive its rather infamous uh series finale i think Mm -hmm. uh in in recent memory it has it's gone down as one of the least as one of the lowly regarded series finale that ever were so interesting it's come back there's still that appetite out there i i don't know because of course they don't release how many people watched uh anything on hbo max but we do know ratings on traditional cable of course the original hbo um and it was outstanding now there used to be a day in time going back 15 years ago that something that rated 10 million viewers would be laughed at and seen as, oh, wow, hardly anybody watch your show. Of course, those were the days before streaming. But nowadays, 10 million viewers, in my view, um, is as good as you're going to get, considering how competitive the landscape is and how most people have seemingly moved on to streaming. That is fucking impressive. Um, and that is a headline um that uh, I'm sure Warner Brothers Discovery is very happy uh, to have at least one win because holy shit, it has been a month of just awful headlines. <laughs> of course, all self-inflicted. 
and rightfully deserved, but, you know, <laughs> awful headlines, one after another after another. There was even more cancellations that came this week that were so mystifying. The Amazing World of Gumball apparently had a movie coming out on HBO Max, and considering how popular that series is, it somehow was canceled. On top of the idea that a Matt Reeves and J.J. Abrams produced Batman animated series, thankfully it's not been canned, it's gonna... It's, it's so far into production, I understand that they're going to find a home for it, so there is that. But the idea that a Warner Brothers streaming service would not want to house a Batman animated series on their service is insane. Mm. So again, as we discussed last week and the week before, and you know, what's the deal with Zaslav? I mean, you have to wonder yourself, it's as the weeks go by, the decisions that come um, are just that much more mystifying and um, enraging and I, as Grace Randolph put it uh, Zaslav right now is like a serial killer when it comes to animation they're just completely getting rid of it um, and because that's most of the stuff that they've, that they've cancelled so far and of course more is coming so um, also since I, I did bring up the Warner Brothers Discovery stuff what also wasn't very flattering this week was their decision to delay some films so Shazam Fear of the Gods was supposed to come out Christmas time this year it has now been delayed to March which is around the same time that the first Shazam was released back in 2019 and as we all know and as this show has been covering uh, was not a very good release date for Shazam because it was sandwiched in between two multi-billion dollar grossing Marvel movies the first being Captain Marvel and the second being Avengers Endgame and so, from what I remember, there is a lot of competition around that time in March 2023 that includes the Dungeons & Dragons movie and then some other ones that are kind of of a similar nature. So, we'll see. Um, I'm pulling for Shazam. I love the first movie. I, mm. I want people to um, – I hope people go and, and watch that movie. But even if it does somehow do well, we're not guaranteed of a third film or what may come after, so there is that. And Aquaman, The Lost Kingdom, was delayed. It was supposed to come out in March, and it's seemingly now going to come out late, late 2023, with uh, what I gather, you know, from reports in the past, are going to be some added, quote-unquote, improvements. Um, so we'll see how all that goes. Uh, Black Adam is still coming out in October, and boy, you cannot pay me to give a fuck about that movie. I gotta be honest with you, the Black Adam trailer even played in front of, uh, the Black Adam trailer has played in front of so many movies, including, uh, the Dragon Ball movie that I saw last week, and I gotta be honest with you, I don't think there's ever been a trailer where the second it comes on and I realize what it is, I completely space out. Mm -hmm. I, I, I can't name you a single line of dialogue, I can't even name you what goes on in the trailer there's just this there's something about that trailer that just screams boring i just can't get interested in it i don't know what it, it is it shows you nothing like i don't <laughs> know what this story is gonna be about right there's no I, story at all yeah like at least with the sony movies you know they're using villains as the main characters I, at least i can see like oh, okay i can tell where a and b is gonna go what even might be the character arc or something of of the movie of the character but with black adam i don't i don't know what they're gonna do with him you know they're telling him hey be a hero and all that but well, from what they showed it seems like he's just gonna straight up be a bad guy <laughs> just straight up 
kill people uh, for justice. I don't know what for. Um, but yeah, it, the trailer doesn't really show much at all. Yeah, it, it doesn't. And what's there is just it, it just looks like your run of the mill superhero movie, which I mean. I feel it's been long documented at this point on our podcast. We are very tired of it at this point. It's not so much that we have superhero fatigue in that we don't want to see any more uh, projects in the superhero genre. It's that too many of them feel exactly the same mm-hmm. and are going for the same things and feel and look and sound the same. It's more, and uh, we want you know these stories. I think they flourish when they go and try to be their own thing, and they try to be interesting. And I, I, I mean, I guess you could say in theory, Black Adam was going for that. But when you look at that trailer, and well, I don't know, it just seems like you guys just did a superhero movie with The Rock in it. Okay, I, I, <laughs> I don't know. And if I'm being honest, I don't know if I'm gonna pay to watch that movie. I mean, I guess we'll see the closer we get to it. It's going to be coming out in October, and uh, I don't know. This just seems like a weird month because I think most people will be watching Halloween Ends, which I don't think will be any good either. Because <laughs> I think Halloween um, – what was the last one called? Halloween Kills? Kills? Halloween Kills. Yeah, I think Halloween Kills is one of the single most embarrassing movies I've ever seen in my life. Dude, I heard you guys' review of it. It was so funny. Just <laughs> you guys describing everything that happened. <laughs> it's just, like, I don't want to watch the movie because I feel like your guys' version is better somehow. It still. is better. I mean, if you want to know what happens in the movie and if you want to be somewhat entertained by it, you should listen to us. I mean, yeah. I mean, and I think like that's the one movie where like Peter, Kyle, and I, and I think we all saw it together. I think. I think that's the one film where it's like, um, yeah, that wasn't good on any level whatsoever. And it was especially bad. It was so bad in some spaces that it, it I think it did verge on the viewer, in, in this case myself, being embarrassed for the movie sitting there. It was just... I mean, laughable. And I mean, mm-hmm. there, as you said, it was laughing. It was laughable to listen to what we thought of the movie, but it it it's just like you gotta see it to believe. Just like all the stuff that goes down, and the whole time you're wondering, dude, what the fuck were these people thinking? And to my knowledge, nothing changed from the creative team that brought us Halloween 2018. And I really, really enjoy Halloween 2018. I think Halloween mm-hmm. 2018 is very a very good um, spiritual follow-up to the original 1978 Halloween. So when you get when you move from Halloween 2018 to Halloween uh, Kills, it, it honestly, one of the biggest drop-offs in quality I've ever seen in my life. It falls completely off a cliff and like – you're there to see Michael Myers and you're there and he's there, but you're also there to see Laurie Strode. Laurie Strode played by Jamie Lee Curtis is just in a hospital gown the entire movie while you're basically giving like a, a group of randos. And I don't know if a, a group of randos who were acting n- not just like idiots, but then also, I don't know, they... The direction they were given as actors either was like, just tr- just be stupid, or maybe they just weren't good actors. 
Like that's mm-hmm. how bad – that's the level at which we're operating in. And then you have like Anthony Michael Hall was like, evil dies tonight and then gets a fucking crowd and like they try and like, you know, hunt down Michael Myers and you of course you can see a mile away how successful that's going to be. And then the way – some of the ways people are killed off, like a, a bullet ricocheting off Michael Myers and hitting the girl back in her forehead. I mean, you got to see it to believe how funny and stupid it was sometimes. It's And again, I think about randos. These are actors and uh, characters you've never seen in this franchise before. But the franchise wants to make you think, oh, they're legacy characters because they were there the night all those years ago that Michael Myers killed. And now they're important people. And now you're spending the entire first act of the film with them. And you're like, what the fuck did I just walk into? Mm-hmm. It is one of the most strangest movies I've ever seen. Certainly one of the most peculiar sequels. Like, just continuously you're watching and like, why was this choice made? Mm-hmm. You know? It's almost like Jurassic World Dominion, although Jurassic World Dominion has more going for it. You know, it's Jurassic World Dominion has more going for it in the sense that, well, I like um, Alan Grant and I like, um, what's her name? Ellie Str- uh I like um, Sam Neill, Laura Dern, Jeff Goldblum. I like them enough. And when they're on screen, I can just focus on them and ignore all the shit around it. Um, that being said, I don't know if you saw Dominion. Ugh. <laughs> um that that that's a horse race which is worse dominion or or kills but with dominion it's like you had an amazing premise where it didn't really require much of anything and it's another one of those examples where the director was like you know what um i know it's a gimme i know it's pretty obvious what this movie should be but i'm gonna make this about locusts and cloning mm-hmm. and the dinosaurs they'll just be window dressing they're they're just kind of there but like i know it's called jurassic world but let us be more intellectual than that and if you think i'm being like hyperbolic no that's exactly the mentality that colin trevorrow had (laughs) into making a movie called jurassic world (laughs) dominion so yeah um but anyway halloween ends coming out this year i don't expect it to be any better because they announced that it's gonna have a day and date release which means it's gonna release in theaters immediately as it's dropped on streaming which in this case will be peacock and again we haven't seen a move like that since the um the pandemic or the Mm -hmm. the first in the the first year of the pandemic so it's i don't know i would say to me it's clear there's no faith in this movie whatsoever in terms of like any being. But then again, if Michael Myers is a celebrity, everybody shows up. I was so surprised how many people showed up to see um, Halloween Kills. It may not make a difference, honestly, how good or not those movies are. People are going to show. Then again, that's the same way with Dominion, right? I think Dominion is like something, something like 50 or 60 million away, maybe even less from reaching a billion dollars. Like those movies just sell no matter what. So, there is that. Anyway, going all the way back to where we began with this, and that would be, of course, House of the Dragon. Now, I I feel I've made it pretty clear why I just wasn't, first of all, I didn't have the time, and I just wasn't in the mood to see it. I need to be in the mood. I need to, like, just be... I haven't been able to take take much of a breath these last few weeks, so I just... I I can't be focusing on it too much. But... I love Game of Thrones. 
up until the end. <laughs> um, I, I honestly feel like if you take away the last two or three episodes of Game of Thrones, you you still have one of the best things ever made put to screen, like easily. Mm-hmm. Uh, just filled with so many wonderful characters um, and storylines. Uh, we all loved it. And again, for longtime listeners, of course, we did cover Game of Thrones quite extensively on, on the show, uh, particularly the last uh, uh, two or three seasons. We would cover them. And it was so much fun. I recall um, when season seven first debuted and it was such a trip because that was the season – and yeah, to an extent, it is like, it's the good kind of fan service, you know, because you waited so many seasons for these characters that were all like so splintered. And that was the season they were all kind of like coalescing around and they were like, they were meeting and interacting. So it felt like a crossover event. Mm-hmm. I remember being in Cancun. This was 2017, summer 2017, uh, watching Game of Thrones. And then also, I think at the same time, the Defenders, we were all so excited for Defenders. Of course, it was kind of a disappointment but we were all so excited about it and that was all dropping at the exact same time so it was just i i I liked i think back really fondly at season seven because um in the time in which it came out and i really liked season eight but then of course to me where completely shit the bed was daenerys targaryen who was one of my favorite characters on the show and um kind of like with the scarlet witch um Wanda in the MCU. It's kind of a similar thing where it's like, to me, yes, you can make the argument as it has that the ending of WandaVision itself uh, fucked it up. And that's why there's a bit of a disconnect between Wanda's end in that show and the multiverse of madness. To me, I love the character so much that when they turn, when they go the way of Daenerys, shall we say, it always hurts. But I feel if you put in the work to make us like at least buy into that idea that it makes sense, I can go with it, right? Mm-hmm. And I think with both examples in different ways, they missed the mark because, well, we know with Marvel, they kind of just do everything on the fly. And we'll get into that with She-Hulk. That there's just so many things that change, post-production, this here, that there, no one not really knowing, like not everyone being on the same page as to what to do with this character, the same character being being written by different people, in the first case being Jack Schaefer on WandaVision, then of course Michael Waldron in Multiverse of Madness, without any kind of care or rhyme or reason like as to like the contradictions may be. Again, had they put into work into making Wanda like, you know, a believable villain, I would have been fine with it. Now, the well, yes. Uh, well, I was going to say, like, I don't think they really needed to put work to make her a believable 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 villain <laughs> that came out weird it's a word um, yeah uh they didn't really need to put in the work they just needed to add in snippets of it like just crumbs the, <laughs> yeah i mean really all they needed was the after credit scene like every after credit scene in all the movies should uh-huh. have been the scene where wandavision is planning on doing something big you know for it to lead to her wanting to her kids right back. and if they would have done that then all those after credit scenes everyone Whoever watched whatever movie, they'll go, oh, what's what's going on with Wanda? And then they'll look it up either online, just whatever the plot was for WandaVision, or maybe their friends will tell them, like, no, I watched WandaVision. Like, it'll explain, like, what happened. Mm-hmm. That's what you do. If you were going to connect WandaVision into in either Multiverse of Madness or some other movie, you got to tell the audience, like, 
watch WandaVision, please, you know, and not in like, you know, online on Twitter or something like, no, you got to tell them through the movies like, hey, this is pretty important. Well, I think you touched on, you know, other major issues there. It's like, look, phase four in reality wasn't very interconnected, but Marvel still wanted to make you think that it was. And they were going overdrive into, you know, throwing so much out there to make it feel like it was adding up to something when in reality it never was. Mm-hmm. And so while I uh, no longer need and would prefer if they just completely, um, not completely, but just to a large extent, a larger degree, you know, put aside the interconnectivity of it all. The easy way they could have just done it was to use the the end credit scenes, as you said, as a way to build up Wanda and to see what else is happening in the MCU and make her see more of a menace out there than her just like randomly popping out of nowhere. Because Mm -hmm. what did we get, though? We got a lot of end credit scenes that's to this day. I'm just checking right now the time. It's 5.37 p.m. It is Friday, August uh, 26th. And so many of those end credit scenes of those movies have gone nowhere. And yeah. it's been years already, months and years since those scenes have been out there. That really, those end credit scenes, it used to be that the end credit scenes for phases one, two, and three were all leading in the same direction. They were all clearly pointing to something. Whereas the end credit scenes in phase four are pointing at a million different things at once. Mm-hmm. And so that's also part of the issue with why people have... Um, a, a different feeling with Marvel these days. Um, but suffice to say, um, our feelings on how Wanda was handled um, are, are, are well known. And it, it's also just kind of uh, pathetic that the idea that, oh, they, they even went for a fake out scene. Why would they do that in Multiverse of Madness? Nobody actually believes she's dead. Like mm-hmm. that. I, 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 and because of that, I don't, really see the 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 worth in in doing that but that's that's wanda maximoff now with daenerys targaryen daenerys targaryen was supposed to be the bitch that broke the wheel of all of this bullshit and bring about an order of justice you know that Mm -hmm. this was supposed to be the woman that yes was very much um single-minded in her uh, journey to acquire the Iron Throne, but through that, she would bring about meaningful change and reform and there would be people on the Iron Throne that would actually give a fuck about, you know, normal guys out there, instead of just like, you know, constantly playing a Game of Thrones. Um. Well, at some point in Season 7, Things began to be a bit different, at least uh, in her demeanor. And it almost makes you wish that, well, frankly, we all wish we could go back and change some things. But it's like, it makes you realize why um, Daenerys kind of like, because Daenerys was playing a long game. And from a political standpoint, she was kind of playing it flawlessly. There were mistakes, obviously, here and there when she was... You know, in that other country, but for the most part, she had an ironclad team around her that you could see her like showing up to Westeros and then like 
absolutely wiping the floor with anybody. But in Season 7, you began to see seeds of a different kind of Daenerys that kind of like was jumping the gun where it's so within reach that a lot of her senses have just completely went out the window. And then when it came to Season 8, um, it it just got worse and worse. For me, it was really disappointing to see um, Varys even attempt to kill Daenerys through, like, food poisoning or whatever. It, it seemed kind of, like, not believable because you'd think he'd be a lot smarter than that. And it's one of those things that you go and, like, hmm, I wonder if that was just there because they needed Daenerys to go super duper evil. And this is one of those things. And so Varys as a character was sacrificed because of that. But you see things like that here and there began to kind of like bring the show down. Mm -hmm. And then of course, where it led to um, the battle at King's Landing. And once it was, you know, once they surrendered, they didn't even wait for Cersei. Like fuck Cersei. They just like the people like, all right, fuck her. You win. Here, here's the throne. She won. She had it. Then she burned the entire city at the stake. And you saw so... And it went on for a while. Oh, many, many innocent people. The ones that she claimed to have been like their savior for, for many, many years on this show. She just completely exterminated. Um, And then, of course, I mean, that to me is one of the... At this point... um clearest examples of character assassination i've ever seen mm. that just was not the character i thought i knew and i and again i feel like if this was the direction you were going to go into which it's a it's a choice and i'm not sure how much in love i would have been with it even if it was executed all the way but let's say they did put in the work this this came way too quickly because you almost mm -hmm. – you just use the last two seasons to build up to it. That's not how you do it. And, of course, it's 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 pretty clear why it was so rushed. Benioff and Weiss thought they had a Star Wars gig. They didn't at the end of the day, it turned out. But they thought they, they thought they had one. And I think it's pretty clear they wanted to move the fuck on. And if that was the case, as I've long since said, well, then they should have just moved on and let somebody mm -hmm. else take over the show. Um, cause I, I think even, uh, George R.R. R. Martin even said that at one point it was discussed that Game of Thrones should have gone to 10 seasons. Not only that, but they stopped discussing with him. That's right. He like, was no longer involved at some point, right? Yeah, basically. And I mean, that was just, I mean, there's, there was a whole bunch of things they could have done, uh, but they didn't and all because they got some other gig, which honestly makes no sense to me. Like you got a good show going on here. You people are literally saying this is one of the greatest shows of all time, and you decide to just rush it and end it. Like it make that makes no sense. I would, I, I for me, I would have kept it going past ten seasons if I could. <laughs> Hell yeah! And it, it's it's so surprising that uh, HBO and Warner Brothers were so okay with the idea of one of their biggest shows ever just ending like that and again the last two seasons weren't even full seasons there were short seasons too mm. season seven was like seven episodes and i think like season eight was six 
So and usually we got ten um, every single season. Yeah. So yeah, um, Game of Thrones is one of the best shows ever made, and it has one of the worst endings in, uh, to anything I've ever seen. I yeah. think both of those things are true. Mm-hmm. And so we have here a prequel with House of the Dragon, uh, starring Matt Smith um, and other people. Um, oh, real quick. I mean, no, you know what? I'm just going to move past it because, like, I was going to say, like, well, why would you make Daenerys the Mad Queen where Cersei should have been the Mad Queen? Clearly, we should have seen that kind of, like... It, it's so bad because Cersei is supposed to be the Mad Queen. She is supposed to be like the one of the most ruthless characters on the show. And I th- I cannot believe it didn't occur to anybody how bad it was. Like Daenerys like out Cersei Cersei <laughs> in that last like takeover of King's Landing. Like mm-hmm. absolutely putrid, despicable, horrible, like inexcusable stuff. And um, I'm glad she got killed. Um, but also sad because that was a character I loved and whatever. That was the whole thing. Now, House of the Dragon takes place, I want to say, from what I'm reading, 180? 130? Like or 180 years before Game of Thrones begins um, with a couple of characters I do not know. But so far, from what uh, has been seen, uh, people have watched and people have liked the show uh so far so uh david can you tell me um what was your mindset going into house of the dragon what i'm really asking you there is how excited were you or not about this considering the lackluster disappointment of um the ending of game of thrones that's the first thing you can do Mm -hmm. and the second one is what's the show about actually um okay so my mindset at first i was honestly not i don't think i was gonna watch the first episode that's how my mindset was at first but then my sister though who she liked the ending of game of thrones Mm -hmm. started rewatching some episodes you know she just started like skip through some stuff watch the big bits and uh, so I was watching it with her. And so as I'm watching the episodes, I was like, man, this is such a great show. <laughs> Just all oh, everything's about it. Uh, the battles and all, and all that. It was it was so good. And so, I, you know, I was able to, like, look past the ending a bit and be a little bit more excited about the show. And so that's why I even watched the first episode. So, I mean, my mindset was just kind of like, uh, I, I just wanted to give it a chance. You know, I think these these are different writers um so maybe they'll do something good out of it um i was hearing some good stuff about it and when i watched it uh i i i really enjoyed it uh i think it was the first episode was just really good setup of all the characters and what the plot is going to be which is that um the king of westeros he lost his two sons and so he had to come up with an heir the only two options were as like um, I don't know. I can't remember. <laughs> Game of Thrones. I'm not gonna remember names. I'm not gonna remember lineage and all that. So it's gonna be hard. But they're basically the two people that were closest to him, uh, were chosen. One was a woman. One was a man. And so they decided to choose the man. Um, and then like the woman, she was she was known as uh, 
the king that never was or something like that <laughs> or the heir that never was or something like that it was it's it's kind of like a messed up name and all that either way whatever so yeah so this other guy he got chosen to become king and he ruled for about nine years and the biggest thing that people were pressuring him was to give give them give them an heir you know mm-hmm. he only had a daughter uh and then so we start off with the first episode with his wife almost about to give birth uh to another baby he the king the current king feels very very confident that it's going to be a boy because he had a vision about it a dream i think he says for the night is dark and full of terrors um <laughs> yeah. that, the lord of light kind of thing mm. um okay i mean because so, that they those people had a bunch of visions right that's those are the people in game of thrones yeah yeah it, um, it was never, i don't think it was ever mentioned in game of thrones was it or well was yeah it? the the red lady melisandre and then also, I think uh, Beric, the guy that came back from the dead, with like and lit up a sword with fire. Oh, okay. oh, These people well, had like, well, the, the the witch, the red lady, had a whole bunch of visions, right? That's why she burned a little girl, mm-hmm. right? Oh, shit, she did that. <laughs> there were a lot of horrific things. You forget happened on this show. <laughs> and then, I mean, horrific, like Sansa getting raped by Ramsay. It's like horrible, awful shit. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and I'm wondering, um, first of all, before you even go any further. How does this show compare uh, as far from the horrifying aspect of it? How graphic so far, is it? <laughs> so far, it's tame. It's still pretty bloody. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the horrific parts are still pretty tame. There is one part where you're kind of like, oh, Jesus. Um, I won't spoil it. But yeah, there was just one scene. Nothing really happened. It's just, you know, what the, this person was trying to do. And it, oh, it just seemed kind of gross. Okay. Uh-huh, yeah. Uh yeah. But uh yeah, so basically just um the whole episode was just sort of celebrating cuz the the queen was about to give birth so they were celebrating the birth of his son. Everyone around him was like, mm, I mean, are you sure it's going to be a boy? Like who knows and all that. And just everyone's kind of like trying to put their own input about it and they want him to prepare if it's not or something like that. And the king has a brother that's Matt Smith's character. Um, him, he's a bit of an asshole. <laughs> Just like really, yeah. <laughs> Matt Smith plays an asshole. I yeah, mean, yeah, who yeah. would have thought? I mean, is he basically just recycling his like um, Prince Philip performance? Uh, I mean, no disrespect. I think Sam's. I'm the Sam Smith. Fuck Matt. <laughs> Matt Smith is a treasure, um, and I think is excellent in everything. But can you just say? I want to say it's hilarious how Matt Smith has kind of like been known for like playing assholes lately, mm-hmm. but then you watch him on Doctor Who and it's like, I mean, he could be an asshole, but like it's completely different from mm-hmm. like a lot of the roles that he has nowadays. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, Matt Smith's character was honestly my absolute favorite character. I am so curious what's going to happen to him later on because the thing about him is, like I said, he's an asshole. He, um, all of like the king's, um, I don't so know. So I assume like, then he, he's the 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 king's younger brother. Yeah. Okay, and I I guess he's like hoping that it's a girl that way he can like weasel his way into being next in line. Yeah, okay. basically, yeah. that's exactly what it is. And so, um, but the thing about him though is that. Yes, he very much wants the throne. He wants yeah. to be the next in line and all that. But he doesn't want to do it in a malicious way. You know? Huh. 
Yes. How novel. Yeah. <laughs> that's not how you would <laughs> like, think on this thing, show. <laughs> yeah. Like he genuinely cares about his older brother. He genuinely cares wow. about the king. Okay. And so when these things happen, I won't spoil it, but you know, the kid is born, some stuff happens though. Mm-hmm. And he sort of does in a way take a step back, mm. tries to and all that. It kind of backfires on him and all that. And at the end of the episode, he's like sort of kicked out of Westeros. Oh, um, fuck. Yeah. And so I don't know what's going to happen next. I don't, I haven't seen the next episode yet. Um, and just as so, um, these are, they have white hair. So I assume these are Targaryens. Yes. The, the Targaryens are on the throne and there are dragons everywhere, right? Mm-hmm. I saw That's... someone compared it to like how to train your dragon. <laughs> uh, I guess so. Uh, like, I, I mean, like the amount of dragons that are out in the world. Uh, no, not no. that, not no. that much. No, they only you only see two, I think, dragons. Mm-hmm. Uh, but that's like the first shot of the of the episode. It's a someone flying in the dragon and all that. Um, but yeah, it's it's all cool and all that. Uh, but yeah, like I said again, this was all just great setup of the characters. You know, Matt Smith's character again, asshole, wants to be king, but genuinely cares about his family. One of them a little bit too much. oh god (laughs) oh god oh boy and then you had the king himself who is actually a very nice man he he actually cares about he also cares about his family and all that actually cares about what to do with the kingdom and some people want to exploit that (laughs) and so that's kind of the fucked up part i get the picture that he is not the most a adept at at playing politics or at mm. no i guess not i don't the politics part always kind of like i gotta like rewatch those kinds of uh, mm. those kinds of moments and all that but yeah that was but that was a big thing in the episode is that you know people do find him to be weak in a sense yeah and they want and him so- gone because they want him gone, not because they dislike him personally, but they perceive him to be a weak king. Mm-hmm. Or is it more, well, he's weak. That means anybody can just come and walk in and maybe take it away from him. It's more so that people find him weak and they want to use it to their advantage to just gain more oh, power in some well, way. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Why not? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I see. Okay. Yeah. And so, and then there's the main character uh Rhaenaris, i think that's her name i could be wrong but she's the da- daughter of the king and so her in the beginning she very much knows that there's no chance of me becoming king or queen of this you know so she just enjoys whatever she can do whatever she can do uh, and all that but at the end uh she's the one that actually becomes heir to oh girl. she's named heir yeah wow mm-hmm. that's interesting mm-hmm. and so now her she's still very much a blank slate mm. in in the show like you don't again she seems fun she seems pretty smart and all that but as to where it's gonna take her who knows like she might you know maybe later on she might actually want to fight for the throne if mm. someone tries to take it over or maybe she's gonna be able to will, uh, willingly give it away who knows but uh yeah her though she's just very much a blank slate mm-hmm <laughs> It's very interesting. Um, also, I should have led with this question. I have a good idea what the answer of it is, but I just wanted to clarify. Maybe you might not be aware of it yourself, but 
Of course, we all are aware of the fact that the first six seasons of Game of Thrones uh, borrowed heavily and kind of like were inspired by the books that are out there by George R.R. R. Martin. Of course, mm-hmm. one of the reasons people believe why the last two seasons faltered was because there was there were no texts. Because it seems um, Mr. Martin is intent on dying before <laughs> releasing it, the the uh, the ending uh, of those books. It's 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 hilarious how we'll just never see those books. Could um, you imagine though? Like, <laughs> he's about to die, and then finally he goes, "Here's my book." I'll be honest with you. I think it. It's going to take him dying before his estate goes in, takes whatever he had finished, and then hires somebody else, like a relative, to just finish them and release them. Because I think that's mm-hmm. what happened with, like, Dune, where Frank Herbert died and then, like, I believe, was it his son came in or someone else that was close with him took the original writings and then wrote the book. So, it might be that. Um, <laughs> but House of the Dragon... Is there any kind of like reference point for like in, in in where they're operating at? Like, is there's nothing to adapt from, right? This is a whole like original time. No, there there is a book uh, that it's adapted from. The thing though is that in that book you you're getting this story specifically from two perspectives, uh-huh. and so. The things that happen, it's unknown to everyone. Oh. Yeah, so you don't know which one's true, which one's a lie, which one's just completely myth and all that. So what the show is doing, which George R. R. Martin is like a part of in the writing process, he's basically going to confirm everything that's happened in that book. I don't can't remember what the book they're um, using. Mm. Um, but yeah, and so we're we're gonna get answers to what happened and what actually like happened in their ending, like what happened to the dark to the Targaryens in the end. It's really interesting, and I, I'm happy to hear Martin is back in the loop mm-hmm. because he's one of those writers um, that I would say like there are very few creatives out there, creators who allow other people to inhabit. And create new works in their universe and their franchise um, that haven't like lost their senses completely. I feel like in the case of George Lucas and J.K. Rowling, it's pretty clear that they no longer have what they once had as far as their like talents are concerned with like – especially with anything involving their their universes. But I do think that um, – with other creatives like George R. R. Martin, uh, he's still very much um, in this game and knows, you know, what makes for a great story. Mm-hmm. And even though he gets a lot of uh, flack from his fans, Akira Toriyama, when it comes to the Dragon Ball franchise, still kicking, still, you know, writing mm-hmm. new stories in this almost 35-year franchise with Dragon Ball, which we'll get to in a bit. Um Including the recent film, Super uh, Hero. Uh, so, interesting. And I'm happy that, you know, Martin was asked to come back. I'm, I'm happy that he's happy. And um, also that it seems like we can get Game of Thrones back in a way that is of quality. And so, the fact that it's already been renewed for a second season is very encouraging. Mm. Also, it's a great headline, of course, because then, like, WB gets to renew something instead of canceling something. What was also <laughs> renewed was the uh, 
the the twelfth uh, season of Curb Your Enthusiasm, starring Larry David. I don't know for those of you out here out there if you've never seen Curb Your Enthusiasm. I don't know what you're doing. To me, <laughs> I don't know. I can't get through life <laughs> if Curb Your Enthusiasm didn't exist. It's some of the best comedy out there. Have you ever seen it, David? Oh, mm-hmm. you need to. You need to. I'm going to share mm-hmm. some clips with you that are just the funniest shit you'll ever see. Um, it's it's hysterical, I, I feel. Uh, curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, but, yeah, I got to be honest. This discussion got me really uh, curious to check out House of the Dragon. Um, mm-hmm. So... We might come back here next week and see because next week will be uh, episode two. And I want to say there are ten, right? There are ten episodes. I know critics were given six episodes to review. I mean, mm-hmm. I, I I feel like that means that there'll be at least ten because in a normal season of Game of Thrones, there would be ten episodes. Yeah. Okay. I hope so. I, I hope so, mm-hmm. too. All right. That was House of the Dragon. Now let's move on to Disney Plus and She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Um, I guess we'll start off with the most interesting aspect of this. Uh, spoiler alert, it's got nothing to do with the show. And I, I should tell you already a lot. But um, what, is, what do you think is with this Jennifer Gow, um, David? Because Jennifer Gow, the head writer for She-Hulk, um, mm-hmm. we talked about her at length last week. In the interviews she's given for the show. And she's really like. She's so open about the process of working with Kevin Feige. I genuinely don't understand if she realizes how bad it makes him look. Every time she opens her mouth about mm-hmm. like what it was like to work with him. I feel like at this point. She's just being petty and like doesn't want to be thrown under the bus when people review this show. Because, I mean, come on. The fact that they literally rearranged the episodes she wrote for this season, like, that's already a disaster. They are, like, it's common sense in writing. Setup. Like, no, no. Like, beginning, setup, payoff. That is how you write anything. And then you decide to rearrange it? Like, what the fuck? <laughs> you know? <laughs> like, this is part of the reason why I'm going into the show with, like, such bad ex- expectations because... And you, bad vibes. And bad vibes, yeah. Because <laughs> you completely changed what was supposed to what was supposed to happen. And it's not going to end up good. The The thing that bothered me the, fo- the most in the first episode was that, you know... Yeah, we got her origins, how she got control of her powers. But that scene where she was all like, um, you know, I, I control my anger all the time and all that, blah, blah, blah. Like that scene, although it was nice, it wasn't set up no. <laughs> for this episode. It There's no setup for that. And it just comes kind of comes out of nowhere. Like that moment so, should have been payoff to something that was never set up in the first place. Mm-hmm. Basically what you're saying. Uh, yeah. From the first episode of She-Hulk. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, look, I uh, I get your frustrations completely, and um, just to backtrack here to make sure everyone listening is caught up. So Jennifer Gal obviously has been doing a lot of press for the show, uh, of which she's the head writer of She Hulk right now on Disney Plus, and um, 
she's just been saying things left and right um, that are I, – I, in my view, I, I, I think – I think she's going to be forever immortalized for what she said about um, working with Marvel where and, – and, and I quote, you can try and insert yourself as much as you can, comma, but at a certain point, you're forced to get out of the way. Um, what a beautiful quote that kind of like summarizes everything and I don't know. I mean, if I were Kevin Feige, I would be like, does Jennifer have beef with me? What's going on here? <laughs> it's It's mm-hmm. not good. And of course, there was a pretty – stunning omission that you know we we discussed at length last week which was that oh it realized we real we realized that we weren't really all that great at writing courtroom scenes uh for a show that had you know attorney at law in the title so also um evidently it turns out that because a lot of people were talking about Ally McBeal are you familiar with Ally McBeal Ally McBeal is um, the show about a sing, uh, you know, a female lawyer, single female lawyer kind of thing. I don't know if you saw Futurama. They did an episode where they were basically spoofing. Um, you know it now. He's laughing. You know it now. You <laughs> yes. know, it's, I see it on Bender. But a single female lawyer, and then you know, take one. One of the best episodes. I love that. I mean, I love Futurama. I should, but I love that episode. But that was the show that they were spoofing, which was like Ally McBeal. I think um, the aliens came down. Like they loved that show from like the the late twentieth uh, century, and so they they revived it for. That, oh my god! I just I'm, the memories are coming back into my mind. What a great episode! Anyway, people know that show because it was like something of a milestone for like uh, shows that you know featured you know, female leads like that. It, it was considered very progressive for its time. And mm-hmm. when She-Hulk was announced as a TV show, many people were talking about Ally McBeal as like, as it could be used for a source of inspiration for, you know, from which She-Hulk could borrow. It turns out that um, the people working on this show never watched Ally McBeal. And of course, you know, I, I know that Nothing should be a requirement for you to do your job. Sure, I get it. Mm-hmm. But it's it's interesting that in episode two of She-Hulk, in the first scene, I think, when you see them walking into the – not walking. It's like in the middle of the episode, I think. But Jen's drinking alone in a bar and there are TVs uh, in the background and Ellie McBeal is playing. So they do put in like mm-hmm. Easter eggs to Ellie McBeal. But there has been criticism I've seen. Uh, for them not really being too familiar or taking any kind of inspiration from Ally McBeal, which you'd think they would, but evidently they're not at all familiar. So there is that. So again, this just adds on to a series of things where it's like, why are you admitting this? Why are you talking about this? Why are you making yourselves look bad? Why are you making the show look bad? This is not helping anything. So it's, it, I mean, I respect the honesty. <laughs> There's that. I'll be real with you. There's. I'll give them that. But it it, it makes you wonder. So on top of all of this, and I I want to go ahead and and um, give some more background on what you had talked about, which is the changing of the episodes. So to review, of course, that um, last week the first episode of She-Hulk was supposed to be the eighth episode of of uh, She-Hulk. And they recut the thing because 
um, they wanted to get to the origin faster. Now we have more detail about that. So from who are we here? The, uh, the direct. Um, this is Jennifer Gao. It says here. Yeah, it actually moved around quite a bit because when we first wrote it in the writer's room, it was episode four. I always wanted to start the show uh, in situ where we get right into it. I thought, let's just get to know her and what her life is now. And then once you spend a couple of episodes getting to know her, we'll reveal all the backstory and that'll put a lot of the things you were watching about her in context as far as why she was so reluctant and why she was at this point in her life and why we're meeting her at this point in her life. And then it was during production that we decided to push it to episode eight. So again, as originally conceived, I'm interrupting her right here. Um, as originally conceived, the episode that we had last week was supposed to be the fourth episode. Then in production, it was pushed to the eighth episode. By the way, I don't know if you know this or not. Um, <laughs> working on TV shows especially. It can't be good for your overall story if you're just randomly moving the episode orders around. It just can't be it can't be easy to keep in your mind the continuity of events. Mm -hmm. It's just I mean, I that would drive me insane. <laughs> Honestly. The only the only time that happens is with actual comedies. So like, you know, multicam comedies because i i've been listening to this podcast um uh talking about um boy meets world and that one they said like you know they shot i think it might have been like the first fourth episode first or maybe just earlier but it came out later on after they filmed some other episodes and all that and so like basically like there was some rearranging done in those episodes for some reason but you know it's it's a it's a comedy, right? You know, whatever happens in that episode stays in that episode. You don't really you don't you don't need it. it. The, the 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 continuity of events is not as important. And you're so mm -hmm. right when you see like comedies or even well, this to an extent is not as relevant. I mean, it, it's it's a practice, although one that's more confounding. It's often found so, as you said, in comedies, in multicam sitcom shows, where the the order of episodes are not as important for you to enjoy them as their own episodes. However, um, this practice has known to happen to a lot of animation uh, where that also, but it's harder with animation because if you air them out of order, things get weird fast. One of the mo biggest examples, um, Star Wars, the Clone Wars. <laughs> um, because George Lucas wanted to make like, sequels and, and prequels to certain episodes that happened in the first two seasons it ended up being that there are several episodes uh out of chronological order because they hadn't been made yet so as an example of like when things go really wacky but with with uh comedies and sitcoms there's not really a problem and there wouldn't be a problem here if they actually tried to make you know she hulk a sitcom but the mm -hmm. problem is even let's just say even if it was, which I'm dubious if that's at all going to be the case when we get into the later episodes. We'll see. We're still in the first two. But 
it's hard to do that when you're a sitcom second and a Marvel property first. And with a Marvel mm-hmm. property, you're going to have superhero elements and you're going to have origin elements. And that's when things get complicated to a, to an extent. Um, but it seemed to me that Marvel complicated it for themselves. Because based on what I'm reading here, Jennifer had pretty good idea like where the origin would come in. Because I understand why for for Marvel, oh, well, episode eight seems too far away. People are going to be asking questions. Why don't we just move it up to the first episode? But wait a minute. You are the ones that decided to put it episode eight. Or originally, mm-hmm. the creative, Jennifer Gao, had it for episode four, which would not have taken long at all to get to. So why, why? It's it, it's yeah. there's a lot of why here, but to continue what she was saying here, I remember there was a lot of discussion. Honestly, I was probably in a fugue state. That means she was pissed. I don't actually remember what the catalyst was of moving it to episode eight. That's her saying. She doesn't even remember why they what the rationale was for why they wanted it to be episode eight. Um. But we did, and that's what it was for a very long time, until we were in post-production, where if you listen to our podcast, uh, you know, Thor Love and Thunder and Miss Marvel, you should know Mar- uh, Kevin Feige making changes in post-production, it's just an everyday occurrence. Mm-hmm. It's just an everyday occurrence. Like, I'll tell you, like, we know for a fact. Um. I mean, we don't know for a fact, but we can. It's pretty obvious that the decision to make Miss Marvel a mutant came pretty late. Seems pretty obvious because the show was not building to that mm-hmm. whatsoever. It was just switched. So back to uh, Jennifer Gao. Months into post production, Kevin and everybody at Kevin's level wanted to move it to the first episode, and I fought them tooth and nail damn but i understand it i think it's just because we underestimated or at least i did people's familiarity with the character but i knew this character inside and out and she was always my favorite in the comics i really took her for granted well i really took for granted that everybody would know who she was how she got these powers and her relationship to bruce i just took for granted that everybody would know this But not a lot of people are familiar with her. People who watched it, test audiences, really wanted to know more about her. They were having trouble. It was the elephant in the room, and they couldn't get past it. So I lost that argument. Um, Yeah. I don't know. I, I feel like I would have been better serviced if we had a pilot that was more indicative of what the show would feel like. Mm -hmm. And it's just so weird to me because like Kevin Feige is so obviously not interested in telling origin stories anymore. So to just like off the bat, start with it. It wasn't, I mean, as far as origin stories are concerned, it was hilariously rushed. Wasn't really all that impactful on any level whatsoever. 
I don't see how that being the first episode did more good than if they had just picked one where we just in the courtroom and get going immediately. I would have far preferred mm-hmm. that because then you would have gotten a feel for what the show would be instead of all this. So um, there's that aspect. <sighs> Don't you love how we haven't even gotten to talk about the episode yet? We still have all this other stuff <laughs> surrounding this show, but it's important information. I think it's important information for, for you to know if you're watching the show, but I think it also gives you – uh, a reason for why David and I are just not very excited about the show. Because we see this and it's like, well, fuck. Well, here's another example. Again, from the direct. Marvel Studios restricted She-Hulk jokes to protect MCU brand. <sighs> this is ultimately why. And it, it was really funny to me how I saw this article the same day some other publication uh, ran uh, an editorial with that said, She-Hulk is proof Marvel will handle Deadpool well. If anything, it's proof of the opposite. <laughs> I Look, this is the thing. Honestly, this makes me nervous for Deadpool at this point because, look, Jesus fucking Christ. This is, this is, okay, let me, okay, let me read this. Sorry. <laughs> Um, this is Jennifer Gow. Yeah, I mean, most of the time, the only jokes that really forced us to pull back on were when we were being a little too mean when we were poking fun at Marvel things. Excuse me, I'm sorry, was that not the point of your show? Was that not supposed to be one of the selling points? You see, this is an example where, like, they want to be so up the ass of themselves in the MCU and coat themselves and all the the Easter eggs of the MCU. Um, and they even want to get you thinking that, oh, yeah, they're cool for, like, poking fun of themselves. But not really. You know, um, <clears throat> we talked about last week. Um, yes, the moment at the end of the episode was funny when you have um, – uh, Jennifer's hilarious reaction to, I guess, the revelation that Steve wasn't a virgin after all. That was funny. The whole idea of where that joke came from was from a Reddit page on all the fans. And it was like Marvel, like trying to, I guess, their way of communicating to the fans, like, hey, um, we're with you. Like, we know what you're getting up and down to. And look at us making fun of ourselves. Ha ha. Mm-hmm. Although, not really. Um, and then it's come to light that, oh, a lot of the jokes that would make fun of themselves for what they've done in the past were removed because it turns out we don't like it when they're mean to us, uh, kind of thing, you know, kind of being a big baby and all of that. And it just goes to show you again, one of the reasons why we're not excited. You're already taking the teeth out of the show. Mm -hmm. First of all, you're not doing a sitcom. I don't see a sitcom here. I mean, I, not yet. Yeah, that's... You're, I, I don't see it. I mean, you want to make us think that you are. I'm not seeing it yet. Mm-hmm. And one of the ways I'm not seeing it is there aren't jokes, like real, like, you know, punchlines. And if if you think those are punchlines, well, that, again, makes you... It makes sense why you consider the likes of Ant-Man and the Wasp as your... 
I don't know, your comedy franchise. I guess comedy stands for not because, I mean, I, personally, I don't think that's that's barely humorous at all, if anything. Mm-hmm. But, like, you, yeah, yeah, David, go ahead. I was going to say, I rewatched a show that I saw when I was a kid. And it was um, Ned's Declassified School Survival Guy. Love it. Love it. I love it. Yeah. Amazing show. I loved it when I was a kid. Watching it now, I'm like, oh, wow. The well, th- the jokes, I mean, they're just not landing with me anymore. Like, you know, they yeah. were cartoonish. They were dumb and all that. It ain't for but, us anymore, unfortunately. Yeah, it's not for yeah. us anymore. Something the same way, like, <laughs> no, I, I think that the same goes for shows like iCarly or, you know, other shows. The humor mm-hmm. just doesn't hold up. It's not landing with us the way that it used to. Yeah. yeah but, you know, with that being said, though, it had a style. Again, yeah. it was cartoonish. There, literally, there was moments where you know they're running away from the bully, and they had like a little reference to Scooby Doo. You know, someone actually like dropped onto the floor, lost their glasses, and went, "I can't see without my glasses," and all that. <laughs> it's so, uh, but like it had a style. It knew what it was, especially when I started the second season. I. I'm like I'm like I'm really paying attention to the actors, and I'm like, oh, you guys know exactly how you want to like throw throw these punchlines now. You know what like, you are. You know who you are. You know yeah. what kind of show you're making and all that. And so, I'm not seeing that with this show, and that's why that was my biggest complaint in the second episode. Yeah. I'm like, where are the jokes? You know? Okay, cool. Yeah. Uh, the her dad asked, hey, what does Hawkeye do with his arrows after the battle? Does he pick him up or anything? And it's like, okay. I mean, yeah, it's a Funny question, sure. But <laughs> Yeah. That wasn't very good. That was, <laughs> there's a lot of stuff in this episode that just wasn't very good for a lot of reasons. And that's to a smaller extent that that's one of those smaller reasons, but um it goes to show you it's like, yeah, I guess they really were thinking they had something there with that line. And no. Mm-hmm. At least not for me. Um It's just like this, to me, like I mentioned last week, the comedy of which a show like this should be operating as, especially if you have a character that breaks the fourth wall like Jennifer Walters, which, by the way, so far on this show, it's not working for me. No. It's not working at all. And that's mm-hmm. bad because it, it is – it's supposed – it, it should and it's supposed to work because it, it is a core feature of this character in the comics. Mm-hmm. Here it's done. I mean, the the amount of times that it's done, and like how far you go without that happening, and then when it happens again, it's kind of jarring because like, oh yeah, you do that. Stop yeah. doing that. It's not working at all. The part when she did that, when she like started her job, um, you know, my spoilers, whatever. She started her new job. Nobody cares. I, nobody <laughs> cares. And I, for a second, I was like, is she breaking the fourth wall right now? Like I couldn't tell that she was breaking it. <laughs> yeah, that's bad. Yeah. That's bad. They're not even, like, showing any effort how they hold the camera or how they want to, like, you need to visually communicate to your audience, this is how it looks like when she breaks the fourth wall. Mm-hmm. Think about how Lizzie McGuire did it. The show Lizzie McGuire. You had, like, the animated it Lizzie that would, yeah, yeah, that yeah. would like, talk to the audience. Mm-hmm. Um, that's an interesting way that they chose to do it. Why couldn't She-Hulk have done something like that? Mm-hmm. Actually, and, yeah, that right? actually would have been really so cool. Like it, you see both characters uh-huh. in the shot, and she just breaks it, you know. And especially, you could have 
added that to the style you know this is her hulk form who has a lot more rage mm-hmm. why not like kind of be an asshole in her inner thoughts towards people yeah and <sighs> <laughs> it's so like, man, i haven't seen you this frustrated in a while man <laughs> Like, no, like again, that's declassified. Like he breaks the fourth wall too, and you know that one's just kind of like, you know, that's right. I forgot. <laughs> yeah, that one's the more so casual though. He like he literally like looks at the camera, even walks towards it sometimes. You know, this yeah. it's more casual. You saw Malcolm in the middle. Malcolm did it all the time. Oh yeah, yeah. for sure. Um, yeah. Uh, what was I saying? Oh yes, uh, of the jokes. I, I said last week the comedy that this should be aiming for. Is Harley Quinn. Harley Quinn is fucking ingenious and hilarious. And look, not for nothing, often because it, it makes fun of itself. Not only does it make fun of itself, like it's its particular iterations of the characters. No, but you're it's making fun of like long-standing like um DC characters, not just villains. I mean, they they did a whole thing with like Batman massaging Catwoman's feet earlier this season, uh, the, this new currency in season three. And of like, like, the how, um, what's his name? Commissioner Gordon is portrayed on this show as a bumbling buffoon. Like, a lot of the, mm-hmm. the, the even, oh, well, this isn't like, this is not Harley Quinn, this is more Peacemaker. But like, look at how DC does it. Like, they, it's not like they don't revere their characters. Um, they're just like, they're not afraid to have a good time. And Disney and Marvel mm-hmm. are. Like, with Peacemaker, they even, like, I think it was, did John Cena say that, like, Superman had, like, a poop fetish? On the, like, it, I, I think it's one of those things that was uttered. I, I only remember two things. that He, he said that Aquaman fucks fish. Uh, <laughs> That's right. And then I like the way that people go, like, oh, have you met Wonder Woman? And it's like, no, but I could tell she was eye fucking me across the room one time. <laughs> and so that just, it's so, it, it's, it wasn't afraid to make fun of its superheroes, you know? And I hate that. Honestly, but look how though, funny I, it is, though. It's a great joke. Yeah. And honestly, I partly hate the fans. Um, for kind of ruining that with Marvel, because some mm. people actually do take offense with it. Like whenever they make fun of, like, oh fuck you, know, you. yeah, fuck it's just, you. Look, people are wearing silly costumes. Who gives a shit? <laughs> fuck you, man. It's like it's that clip I see uh, of Stan Lee that was going around a few weeks back when he was answering questions from his desk, and he was saying in his old voice, "You know, one of the questions that I get asked so much is." Who would win with who in a in a in a battle? And basically, he was saying like, "It's whoever right the writer wants to win wins." Basically, like mm-hmm. you know, slamming down all the people with like, "Well, actually, wouldn't this character like you know you know he's more powerful?" Fuck you. <laughs> Even Stan Lee said "fuck you" sometimes <laughs> to his own fans, and it's like Kevin Feige needs to have some of that energy on him. Yeah. I wish, like, he would wake up the way, like, somehow, I don't know if it's gone unnoticed, but, and I know you noticed it yourself, David, um, Joe Biden seemingly woke up this week (laughs) from a nap. (laughs) Seriously, he was asleep for such a long time, and then this week, like, things left and right, like, he was like, oh, shit, you're doing something. Did you just forget that you were the president and you can do things? The same way he woke up, I wish Kevin Feige would, like, hey, you're the president of Marvel. Like, 
you you don't need to listen to these people and you 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 should take the initiative and be creative and like do all these mm-hmm. things i mean i mean it, i mean look i didn't think biden would ever wake up and this is the weirdest shit i ever thought hey kevin could do that as well i just like it's if you can't commit to like really poking fun of yourself really with this show how on earth are you gonna pull off deadpool mm-hmm Deadpool like straight up deep cut references <laughs> the comics itself and like it makes fun of itself and all that. I mean, look back at so, those movies uh that Fox mm-hmm. made. Like Jesus. I mean, the stuff that was it in the was it in Deadpool 1 or Deadpool 2? There was an end credits where one of the funniest end credits of all time that um Dead Deadpool kills uh Ryan Reynolds as he's reading the script for Green Lantern. Yeah. Was it Deadpool 2? <laughs> yeah. Oh my god. <laughs> <laughs> I mean that that's like again, I, I think like with Deadpool, Peacemaker, Harley Quinn, those are all like wonderful examples of like amazing comedy and punchlines mm-hmm. that land and continue to have landed all those years later. Deadpool's like four years, Deadpool 2 anyway, he's like four or five years old now. That's a long time. But the comedy has like withstood, you know, it's still here. Mm-hmm. I mean, oh my God. Oh my God. One of the funniest, funniest things I've ever seen in any superhero film. The fucking tease in Deadpool 2 of the X-Force and then one by one they get wiped out completely. Mm-hmm. <laughs> amazing amazing stuff so it makes me even more worried for deadpool because like we already know like they said they still say publicly that it's gonna be rated r i don't believe that yeah Mm -hmm. you got sean levy who's never made a way who you know to his credit is a talent but has never operated in the landscape of an r-rated you know project and so I assume Disney just wanted him because he's worked so well with Ryan Reynolds. They worked on um, Free Guy, which I like Free Guy. Also, I feel like maybe could have gone further with their, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, comedy. So, yeah, this is just disappointing all around. And it only, you know, creates even more doubt and frustration with uh, individual upcoming projects of the MCU and in the MCU overall, with them just not wanting to do anything different. Um, so that's that with uh, that aspect of it. But getting into the episode, right? Um, you and I had some somewhat of a similar experience. When I texted you yesterday to see if you were available for a podcast... I had not yet seen the episode, honestly, and it had already been like up for a while. I know that my feelings on a lot of the Disney Plus shows have fluctuated, um, but even the ones that I haven't enjoyed all that well, I've still caught the episodes when they've dropped immediately at midnight. Mandalorian, Boba Fett, Obi-Wan on the Star Wars side, also um, the Clone Wars and then, <clears throat> not Bad Batch. Bad Batch I saved because I don't think it was worth it week to week. You had to binge the whole thing at once. At least to me. 
Um, but um, all the Marvel Disney Plus shows, WandaVision, Falcon, Loki, Hawkeye. What if I didn't? That one I didn't. Um, yeah. Moon Knight, Miss Marvel. Here, this is two years, almost two years of these shows. This is the first time I did not watch the episode as it dropped uh, at night. I went, I went to sleep because I figured, you know what? I think that's a better use of my time. <laughs> it's just going to sleep. And it was. It was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I did see it the next day. And it's not god-awful. That's where we're starting off with. <laughs> it's not god-awful. Yeah. But it's like an interesting collection of pieces, mm-hmm. ideas, and it's like you're watching like um, a ver- like you're watching it, and you think to yourself, "I'm seeing a version of this show that could work really well," but the way that it's assembled here is not really doing it at all for me. Um, and so I tried watching it, I think, um, later Thursday in the middle of the day, I think I'd turn it off for like after a minute because I just like, no, I need to like, I just can't get into it like this. So I just turned it off and I watched it later on. Um, it was 23 minutes. Um, I think the episode, Yeah. which if you were a sitcom, that's perfect. Mm-hmm. But I guess like this show thinks itself as a sitcom, but it's not. And it's more, I guess, at the moment, feeling like a traditional Marvel Disney Plus show. And then the short runtime just makes it look worse um, because of it. I felt it was strangely meandering a bit. In retrospect, I think we spent too much time with a bunch of people who relatively don't mean anything to us. Maybe may not even mean anything to the show. I still think we don't really have any core relationships to latch onto. There are a lot of people on this show who I'm still like, who are you? Why are you here? Why should I care about you? And mm-hmm. the show's put no effort whatsoever in like building them up. Like I know that we in two episodes. Um, Jen's paralegal, you know, her friend, her best friend who is clearly a best friend, but we, I don't even know her name. Um, but like the show has put no effort into like that relationship or or, or fleshing it out at all. And I know it's just two episodes, but still by, uh, by comparison of other shows, I still don't have the core foundations of why these two people are friends, Mm -hmm. except that they're friends. Um, I feel like the ending was hilarious because it just ended <laughs> abruptly, which is an yeah. issue that's happened before with these shows, particularly Marvel Disney Plus. Uh, I think I love Mark Ruffalo, but for whatever reason, I think like the continuing presence of Bruce Banner is somehow dragging the show down because – like, I think there's an interesting exchange that he has with Jen 
And Mm -hmm. I think it was, to an extent, important enough to see him, you know, be with her the first time that she transformed and everything. I get that. I don't think he needs to be in the show any longer um, than that, personally. Not that I would be opposed to it, but there's a moment in this episode. And by the way, I guess we're just going to go. We're already, like, at full spoilers. So there's a moment where, you know, it's revealed that. You know, he's long since forgiven Emil Blonsky for, you know, the Incredible Hulk. And it's hilarious, first of all, how little I remember of the Incredible Hulk. And it's like, oh, yeah, that happened. And that happened. And I was like, oh, yeah. And, like, when you see Emil, like, break down his situation, it makes you wonder. Because I can't can't tell, like, is he, like, being intentionally, like, duplicitous? Or is he, like, telling the truth when he says that he was used entirely by the by the government? Then he was, like, thrown away as a scapegoat and he's been locked up this entire time because I can't remember. Like, I, I'm sure he he was kind of, like, egging it on himself and he was kind of kooky and not right to begin with. And he himself is partly to blame for why he ended up the way that he was. I'm sure of it, mm-hmm. but I can't recall that film too much. That being said... It was nice to see, like, you know, an exchange with Bruce and with Jen, and that was nice, and that's the only thing, the only relationship on this show that's close to anything being a thing, but Mm. it made me laugh out loud how he hung up, and then, like, we zoom out, and he's on a spaceship, the music builds up, and then he's gone, and then we're back on the show, and the reason why it made me laugh is because... What the fuck does that have to do with this lawyer show? Why Why is mm-hmm. that inserted here? Th- th- this randomness just in the middle of all of this show that's going on. Like that wasn't important. That wasn't necessary. And more to the point, it was just weird. Like I can understand because they love to tease other projects in their end credit scenes. If you save it for an end credit scene – and then they're teasing a different Hulk project. What that would be, I don't know, honestly. I don't know how they would do it since like Universal will never allow them to make a, a solo Hulk film because they own the rights to the Hulk still. Um, but it just seems so laughable that that was in the middle of this episode. Also, mm-hmm. I'm sorry. Like it, I guess in theory, it should work. But because I know the context now and how little they they, ref- they they engage with, like, making fun of themselves, them, like, making fun of the idea that when Hulk says, I was a different person back then, literally. And then, like, um, Tatiana Maslany looks in the camera and is like, ha-ha. Like, referencing um, the N- Edward Norton of it all. He was the first actor who played in this universe in The Incredible Hulk. And I feel like... If I were really positive on the MCU and if I had a lot of faith in them and I wasn't just so turned off all over the place, I would be like, I'd giggle at that. Mm-hmm. I didn't think it was very funny. And I think it's pretty telling that it's been a couple of days now that this has been out. I don't know if you've noticed it, but I hardly see any tweets of She-Hulk. There's nothing. I mean, I know you're not on Twitter, but I'm on Twitter a lot. And I hardly see mm. anything about She-Hulk. Granted, a lot of news is happening in the world this week. Hence why I referenced Biden waking up and he walked out of his cave and <laughs> doing – But it's true. But 
uh, people were talking about House of Dragon. I haven't seen anybody talk about She-Hulk. Uh, I don't. I think that just shows you there's nothing to say. What is there to mm-hmm. say? I, that's, I think, my biggest issue with the episode is just I like Tatiana Maslany, and I feel bad that she's that this is what she has to work with because everything around her just feels like is either trying too hard or not trying hard enough. And I, uh, I don't know, man. It just, uh, it's kind of like, uh, a bit mediocre what we're, what we're getting from them. And by the way, compared to what we usually get from Marvel, which a lot of what Marvel does would already be considered to be mediocre. And if we're calling this mediocre, wow, your thoughts. Yeah. I mean, just nothing really happened in this episode. You know, she, yeah, there were consequences to her revealing herself and all that, which was fine. But then, she, you know, she deals with it for like a second and then she gets another job. And that's really it. I mean, it was interesting that, you know, she got Neil Blonsky as her first case and all that. But they didn't really go much further into it. You know, I, I, I was really enjoying that he was like, um, uh, you know, I, I got, I was given the super soldier serum and it made me strong. But then they threw me under the bus. Like, that was all really interesting. But honestly, I feel like they could have made it more emotional. I feel like, um, the She-Hulk, uh, the character, the main character could have, um, you know, felt more sympathetic towards him and all that. I don't know. It's just we kind of ran past this whole plot and nothing else happened. I mean, I would have liked to to have seen more of um, what was it, um, Titania or something like that? So that oh, one, yes, the one that yes, so she's the nowhere to be found. <laughs> she's nowhere to be seen here. Uh, the villain, I guess yeah. the the influencer villain, which that's going to be all kinds of cringe, I'm sure, whenever that comes back. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, uh, I feel like there are pieces here that should be interesting. The idea that, like, Jen doesn't want to be a superhero, but she's now forced to. And now she's forced to depend on the fact that she's a superhero or has power, shall we say, to even have a career. Like... What I'll tell you what did work here. It's entirely believable that a person would be this punished for doing the right thing. We live in a world where you are um, punished for doing the right thing. In this case, she saved people Mm -hmm. from being basically killed. And she's blacklisted because she's a liability, quote unquote. By the way, also... From a public relations standpoint, in my view, it's not a good time to be a lawyer for especially who you're representing. I mean, you kind of says some pretty bad things about yourself, um, particularly like who you work for. And, you know, you're basically like putting people in jail for a living, oftentimes innocent people, just putting that out there. Um, but yeah, she, she can't get a job. And then the one place that wants her, they want her because she can, she's She Hulk and they want her to lead a superhero law division or whatever. And 
she's basically like, well, if you don't do that, you don't have the job, toots. Kind of like her, how the boss was like treating her. And it was kind of like eye-opening in a way. It's like, whoa. Like, I don't know. I don't... The show didn't treat it as an allegory for anything else. I mean, not that I can tell because they're not really going anywhere with it. But, like, the boss basically, like, forced her to, like, do something against what her wishes would be just so she can have this job. And so, Jen uh, is fear, uh, clearly feeling very much um, uh, not good. Clearly, mm-hmm. about the fact that, oh, they only want her because of the She-Hulk, not because they want her. Mm-hmm. So, and I guess that's, I mean, it's there, but not really. And I'm really wondering if they're going to do anything with that. Um, Yeah, I don't know, man. Yeah. Also, it was pretty, pretty fucking aggressive that one of the guys that is supposed to be, I guess, a colleague that they worked with would refer to a chick as an it. Cause in the beginning of the episode, one of the guys walks in, they, he knows Jennifer, they work together. Then he says, Oh, I see a hot chick. I'm going to go talk to it. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. I remember now that was, that was weird. Mm. That was overly aggressive. Mm-hmm. That was not necessary. Just ended up being weird there. Um, all in all, it's just like, what is this show? Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's where I'm at. It's like, what is this show? And so far, it's, uh, yeah, sloppy, mediocre, lackluster, all of the above. Yeah. So, uh, yeah, I guess we'll see how that goes. Anywho, I think we're ready to move on, right? Oh, God, let's move on. Oh, wait, one thing. There, there was... I guess an Easter egg to the Wolverine being around. Uh, yeah, I think some um, piece of paper said some guy had like claws. Yeah, uh, I guess we should talk about this here. I'll, I'll put Grace because I have her, her clip when she said this. Wolverine. I mean, it's it's subtle but undeniable. Man fights with metal claws in bar brawl. Wow, that's so great, and that's a really big deal for well. Well, for two, well, obviously because it's Wolverine, but for two other reasons. On the heels of the Ms. Marvel reveal with with her being a mutant uh, and, you know, also uh, Professor Xavier and different variations showing up in Multiverse of Madness, mutants are coming up fast. So that's exciting. And two, they're in this universe. I mean, we were wondering if maybe they would be from another universe because they've opened opened up the multiverse. But clearly they're already here and and amongst us and far enough along that Logan has the adamantium. So where have they been? Why are they underground? Why are they only a small little headline on a, on a, on a website? It's fascinating. It's very, very interesting. But, you know, that has to, you know, Kevin Feige, you know, it's all intentional. He wouldn't allow them to put something like that in, especially like that. Or maybe he would. As I said, the MCU today is sloppy and silly, but I mean, it's very interesting and exciting. And as one would expect, although some of you, I think, probably would wish it was some would be somebody else, but I think it's becoming clearer and clearer, along with chatter from, like, Karen Edgerton saying he's been talking to the MCU about Wolverine, 
that Wolverine will be one of, if not the first mutant to actually show up. I mean, he's a superstar. Of course, I think that makes sense. Just the claws. Oh, I'm excited. But wow. And what a, what a place to bury it. That's not, but again, still very. Um, this goes back to, I guess, the longstanding question now um, in our four-hour podcast from weeks back, four-and-a-half-hour podcast. Uh, one of our theories was that, oh, they were just going to, like, completely uh, clear the table after Secret Wars. Instead of there being a multiverse, there'll be one universe. And then that's how mutants and the X-Men will start to take over the MCU and then we'll, we'll retire the Avengers um, – as the superstars of this franchise. Um, this points to something completely different in a way. This mm-hmm. would suggest that Wolverine exists. And if we'll, if Logan is out there, one would think so is Charles Xavier. And so is um, Magneto. Uh, if you recall that podcast, we were discussing at length the issues there would be with the idea that those characters would exist in this MCU considering their background, at least their well-known background in the comics and, of course, the X-Men films. Um, I don't know if you had even been brought into those discussions yet, David, but we were you know, going at length about how well the X-Men would, would mesh and work in this MCU. And one of the things that we that made us think why the X-Men would take more of a presence after Secret Wars was because at that point, you clear the table. But if that's not, no pun intended, of course, on the table here, then um, it would suggest these characters are there. But as Grace just suggested, well, where have they been? Why are they underground? I guess mutants are just out there. And they have been. But if they are, well, does that not completely go against what was, I guess, one of the lasting impressions of Miss Marvel's ending that this is the way that the mutants have been introduced into the MCU, which is through the djinn and, and her origins from the Noor dimension. I don't I still don't have that straight, but the idea that a multiversal element was what, you know, triggered, I guess, a mutation that it would go off from there. And then the idea that Wolverine is out there completely goes against that. So, what the fuck, David? Uh, I mean... Yeah, I I know. (laughs) Um, I mean, overall, that little thing, though, could still be retcon. Of course, yeah. uh, I think it's just a... This this Easter egg could very well also be retcon. We never know. Like, anything can be changed. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So, I mean, specifically with Wolverine, though, like, it's not really much, some, it's not really something that people are sort of, like, really analyzing right. to and be super excited about. So, I mean, I don't expect but, it coming yeah. up anytime soon, but the idea that he's, that he could already be in this universe, does that make sense to you? Um, no, not really, I guess, uh, especially with the case of the mutants and all that. Um, that will just make it super confusing because where have they exactly been? <laughs> right yeah so yeah i guess there's that bit out there okay i'm ready to move on to uh our next story here and that would be um 
the movie of the week, it turns out, that it wasn't. Hmm. Uh, Idris Elba's Beast film. Um, and I'm really sad to say that it, it didn't do very well because I love Idris Elba. I think he should be a movie star, mm-hmm. but for whatever reason, his movies just haven't been doing anything at the box office. It just, they don't, they don't attract audiences. And the one mm-hmm. movie that should have done that for him was, um, The Suicide Squad, which if you, rec- if you recall, Guess what? Nobody saw because <laughs> um, it came out where it, it, it came out. Anyway, let's go on to Dragon Ball. Um, so Dragon Ball Super Superhero um, was released in select theaters. Again, this is this is important. It was released in select theaters this past week. Now, I think it was something like, from what I recall hearing from Dan Merle, Dragon Ball Super Broly came out in something like a thousand theaters, a little over a thousand theaters back in 2018. And then Dragon Ball Super Superhero uh, came out like over 3,000 theaters across the nation here in America. Uh, so a considerable expansion of screens, um, both in dubbed and subbed versions. Now that that should let tell you how... Uh, much of a big deal any Dragon Ball movie is nowadays where theaters here in America not only would pick it up, but would offer dubbed and subbed versions. Because, of course, a long-standing thing about this Dragon Ball fandom is some audiences clearly are more devoted to watching it in subbed version, and some are others more, they prefer the dubbed version. But that should tell you um, the interest there was. Now... Because it was limited, obviously, 3,000 theaters, you would think that it wouldn't do all that well. Um, and it would be, you know, a modest opening, kind of like where uh, Broly was. I think Broly, from what I saw, again, less theaters, around 1,000 or so, had like a $9 million opening weekend. Um, this uh, clearly topped it because Dragon Ball Super Superhero basically had the second best opening for an anime film of all time at the domestic box office with $21 million, um, which is mighty impressive. And it wiped the floor with um, the other film that came out, which was Beast, which I, th- I think didn't even make half as much um, opening weekend. Hmm. Um, and so it is the... I know, I know a lot of outlets like i saw john campia and like double toasted hilariously attempt to like comment on this story with them like not understanding anything going on but it's important to know this because some websites were calling this dragon ball super 2 and they were like calling it a direct sequel to dragon ball super broly and like here's the thing the reason why they have the name Super in their titles is because it's just the thing that ties them into the series, Dragon Ball Super. Kind of like how so many of the um, direct-to-video movies in the 2000s were like Dragon Ball Z this or Dragon Ball Z that. It's just the name of the show that is associated with. It doesn't necessarily mean that 
mm-hmm. it's um a direct continuation or sequel. I haven't seen Broly, but I do know of certain characters, Broly himself, who appear in Superhero. And I picked up, you know, more or less the gist of like what happened, why they were there. Um, we'll get to more of that later on. But it's just funny to see how other people who are so unfamiliar with this uh, property try to cover it. But like, it's just like, it's, it's silly to think mm-hmm. of this as like, oh, Dragon Ball Super 2. No, it's, I, I don't think I would call it that way. It's just, I mean, maybe you could say that some things continue over, but whatever. Also, there's a million Dragon Ball movies um, and, and shows. So keep in mind that David and I have quite an extensive background and knowledge of this franchise. So um, I'll do my best to keep those of you up that can. But more or less, to my knowledge, there have been four animes, um, three of which are considered to be in the main timeline, one of which is not. That would be Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, Dragon Ball GT, which is the one that has been like kind of like pushed to the side. And then Dragon Ball Super is the most recent revival series in the franchise. All of which, or most of which, I would say like it's Super, Super um, Z and the original Dragon Ball also have uh, what they're adapted from, which is the manga. Which is, I mean, if you know Japan, you should know what a manga is. And... Um, the original Dragon Ball manga, I believe, debuted somewhere in 1988. Or at least the show, Dragon Ball. The anime debuted. <laughs> David's like shrugging his shoulders. Who the fuck knows? 1988 <laughs> and is almost 35 years old. It is mm. pretty long franchise at this point. Um, we obviously were not alive in the 80s or in the early 90s when Dragon Ball Z even ended in Japan. But the West had a whole uh, renaissance of anime uh, in the late 1990s and early 2000s of which we were alive to see. And in many ways, it was maybe not a peak, but it was like it, it just exploded so much. So in Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z particularly, was at the face of that movement. Um, it was getting dubbed. You know, we saw the English versions here in the West. And it took on a life of its own uh, here. And it just... Um, was a thing a big at least for me it was no david found it later on and we'll get to that in a bit um so that's why for those of you who are not aware there's a bit of a 10-year gap between like where the where um the japanese audience had them and when we discovered them then of course there have been many movies of which similarly like gt do not technically qualify as happening in the main continuity of events in the anime um which is why, as a kid, I want to make this distinction before it's done back in my face. Because some people would like, now, of course, I don't care about canon. I care about quality. I care about story. But when I, as a kid and I would watch the series and the movies would be on, I would be so confused. Because who are these villains and like, why are some things like so different not just like different in like i guess like um power levels or um character designs but more so with like the events of established events you know happened before the fact so i never they never really particularly drew my interest i just i, I love the show but not the movies and i lose count there's like 15 of them 
Dragon Ball, Dragon Ball Z, between them have like, I guess like 15 movies that came out. And I, the only ones that I've seen are the ones that technically qualify as happening in the continuity of events, which was Dragon Ball Z Battle of Gods, Dragon Ball Z Resurrection F, which both of those were later incorporated into the anime Dragon Ball Super as like whole arcs and episodes. And um, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, Brawly, I am for sure going to see. I'm waiting to see it because I'm in the middle of a, of a rewatch of the series. So I'm saving it for the end. Because um, right now I'm like at the end of Z and I need to kind of catch up with Super again. Anyway, that's a lot. <laughs> I just threw out there and you can tell like it's been a long franchise. Um, and so because of this, it obviously to an extent can be very niche because – any recent um, installments quite literally would be next to impossible to understand the context for what happens and who these people are. So let me get to letterbox description. Um, Dragon Ball Super Superhero, by the way, the idea came from Akira Toriyama himself, who is a creator, basically the George Lucas of this universe. Um, originally, he wanted to make it completely a Piccolo film, but from what I understand, he was uh, later persuaded to make it a Piccolo and Gohan story. But still, mostly, it's Piccolo's movie. Um, and um, Toriyama mm. sometimes is very hands-on, but sometimes is very hands-off. But also involved when he's hands-off. So, the idea came from him. Give me some more hilarity here. It, apparently, Toriyama has has uh, somewhat of a reputation for being a bit flippant and cavalier with um, established events. Um, I'll give you an example. You know, in the original Dragon Ball series, there was this character by the name of Launch, who when she would sneeze, her, her hair and personality would change completely. And you see maybe once or twice in the beginning of Z, but then you never see her again. The reason for why mm -hmm. the character never really appeared, and we get this information from Toriyama himself through various interviews, is because he forgot the character existed. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> and I was, when I was reading that, and I'm like, really? Mm -hmm. <laughs> It's just so funny. I mean, honestly, and I, I appreciate the balls it took to admit that. But I mean, and of course, like launch to a large extent, it was a minor character. Mm -hmm. But I guess there is your explanation for why she never came back. Well, there have been some people who have um, said, why are there two supers in the title of this movie? Dragon Ball Super Superhero. I got to be honest with you. The more times I say the title, the more it works for me. Mm -hmm. I don't know why, like super superhero, whatever. Um, it turns out Toriyama forgot um, that the and the latest anime was called Dragon Ball Super, and so he named it Superhero. And then, of course, his team, or I guess the marketing team, was like, "Well, this is connected to Dragon Ball Super, so I guess this is the title, Dragon Ball Super Superhero." <laughs> Toriyama, of course, wrote that title with forgetting that Super was already in the title. Mm -hmm. oh my God. So, <laughs> yeah. So again, 
considering this, it's amazing how much of uh, of his faculties still work. Mm-hmm. <laughs> At least, also, I think to an extent, his instincts uh, as a storyteller still work. Considering all this information, so there is that. So this is the uh, the film was directed by uh, Tetsuro Kadama, and the description is. A super awakening and calamity is born. The Red Ribbon Army, an evil organization that was once destroyed by Goku in the past, has been reformed by a group of people who have created new and mightier androids, Gamma 1 and Gamma 2, and seek vengeance against Goku and his family. That's our (laughs) description for the film. Um... We'll get into the movie, and uh, but it's just for an expectation standpoint, uh, I've never seen a Dragon Ball in theaters. I wish, I really do wish, I would have had the foresight to have experienced Battle of Gods. Because oh, I love Battle of Gods. Mm-hmm. Like, to me, Battle of Gods truly is one of the best revivals of anything I've ever seen. Maybe the best. Mm-hmm. Cause it brings back all your characters and in a break. It's just great. It's, just, it's beautiful in, in, in every way I feel. Yeah. Um, actually, yeah, go ahead. Did you ever see, sorry, but did you ever yeah. see that video of the, <clears throat> the voice actors? Um, like you actually seeing them act out the scenes and everything. No, no, I haven't. <laughs> yeah. It's, it's just so funny though, because it was, um, you know, this was after um, Goku had already become a Super Saiyan God and all that. But then he mm-hmm. loses it at some point in the battle and all that. And so it's that scene where he's like, I will not let you destroy my world. But he like screams for like a minute straight or something like that. And the actor playing him, dude, he's like, you know, just like, you know, how like Wolverine like opens up his claws like, ah, like he's screaming like that. Like, ah. It's just going and going. It's so funny to watch because I'm just kind of like, that dude's ready to like faint or something or like rage out or something. <laughs> it's it's hilarious. Yeah, Um. <laughs> look, voice acting is no joke, people. Mm-hmm. It really isn't. I've seen several clips of, of many vo- a voice actor really um, over uh, committing, but in the best way to performance. But yeah, one of the things that have like it's gotten a lot of non-Dragon Ball fans to kind of laugh at the franchise and those of us who like it, um, where it's like, why are they screaming so much? (laughs) (laughs) Um, And I guess like if you already know what this is, you're so used to it, you don't even flinch at it anymore. But I guess like if you've never seen a Dragon Ball before, you'd be like, why is there so much screaming? Um, but it's, it, it's pretty funny that you mentioned like, yeah, that's, um, that's the thing. I believe, uh, Sean Schimmel or, or Sean Schimmel is the voice of the English voice actor for Goku. Mm. Um, I have the, the cast list right here just, just to make sure I reference back to them because the voice cast for the most part has stayed exactly the same throughout the entirety of, uh, it's run, at least the English voice cast. Mm-hmm. So I also feel that's pretty special as well. Um, but anyway, back to me. I'd never seen a Dragon Ball in theater. And considering like I had gone so much into like a revival for me personally into the franchise and that a movie was coming up seemed like, oh, this is really 
exciting because I've never had the chance to see this in the theater and now I get to do it. And it's also kind of like different because um, you saw that tra- when you see the, the like the trailer, there were like a couple of trailers. But then off the bat, you realize, huh, they're doing 3D animation. Mm-hmm. And they've never done that before. Yeah, for sure. And to me, it's like, Man, I hope it goes off well because so many different kind of animated properties like try to make the leap from 2D to 3D and it's not all that graceful or successful. So it it left me a little bit anxious, but also in a good way because like, okay, they're trying different things, a, a different visual, you know, standpoint, I guess. So why not? Mm-hmm. Let's do it. Also, what really interested me I feel like the first time I saw the poster, which I actually really do like, I think uh, and of all the Dragon Ball posters, for whatever reason, this is the one that seems like easily my favorite. And it's so simple. Um, but it's it's this one. Uh, it's the main Dragon Ball poster. Yeah. I remember seeing it um, at my local Cinemark and like, oh, are they going to do it here? Mm-hmm. It's like, wow, okay. Um immediately got me so pumped up for it. And then when I went to Comic-Con, um, and I was so, man, I'm, uh, it's whatever, but I was a little saddened that, um, cause at Comic-Con, they give you the choice of two gift bags. There was a DC comics one. Mm-hmm. And then also the other design was the poster basically for this movie. Um, pretty big deal. So yeah, the anticipation was building up to it. But the more I learned about it, the more I was like, get out of here. <laughs> You're making a movie with Piccolo and Gohan as the main focus. What the hell took you so long, man? Like so many years. And I look, I love Goku and Vegeta. Mm-hmm. I mean, truly, they're yeah. the shining stars of the franchise. But I've long since held, like believe there's a deep bench of characters that have been just that benched. And... You have them, and I think as the franchise ages and expands, I love the idea of, like, moving the area of focus into some different people for a change. And in the case of Piccolo and Gohan, not only are they worth, you know, their own movie, but I would also say it's kind of long overdue Mm -hmm. at the same time. So, we have all of that going into it. Um, I I don't think it's uh, going to become a surprise, but I love Dragon Ball and all th- for the most part, all things. I love Z, Super, I adored. I know it has its weak moments, particularly with animation and some lulls here and there, but these characters are so, they mean so much to me. Like I've always said with like other shows, like with S.H.I.E.L.D. especially, like you get to spend so much time with these characters, you think of them as family sometimes. <laughs> and the same thing can be said of with the Z Fighters and their friends. And so almost anything that has these characters in it to a degree will be entertaining and enjoyable for me. Um, even a lot of the stuff that people don't particularly like care for. Uh, and again, to me, 
I think I feel sometimes like I'm one of those weirdos that love that loves the the shit that focuses on comedy. Uh, I know the action is look the action speaks for itself, and I love that, and that's like the forefront of the franchise. But one of the aspects I enjoyed so much about Super was how much they reintroduced the comedic aspect of it that um, they kind of lost in Z to an extent. They had a the it's like they they really married the tones of Dragon Ball and Dragon Ball Z perfectly. I feel in Dragon Ball Super and. Some of my favorite episodes in anything Dragon Ball have to do with the ones that focused on, like, humor first and foremost. And, by the way, humor that I felt, like, was far better handled um, than in any of their predecessors. Uh, The ones that stick to mind were, of course, (laughs) the random episode where they cross over with a Raleigh, the other um, anime from Toriyama. The little girl, a Raleigh, and she... she (laughs) That's so yeah, funny. It was nice. Also, <laughs> but more so to me, uh, the whole episode where Yamcha gets a chance to shine and he's like leading a baseball team <laughs> or more specifically when everybody is trying to like keep it under wraps that Monaka is a fake and not really a fighter and they have to put like Beerus in this Monaka suit hilariously enough and that they're fighting mm-hmm. in midair. So, see, stuff like that is already, you know, I gravitate towards. And it's like, I love the humor. And I also, it seemed kind of like obvious that in some ways this project would kind of lean back more into that. At the same time, providing a lot of the visuals and action that you're more, you know, accustomed to with Dragon Ball. Um, Also, Pan is a little older than last I saw her. Uh, so just a couple of things that have changed. So mm-hmm. I was very much in the perfect mood to see this because I had also just like been reacquainting myself once again with a lot of the particulars of Dragon Ball uh, as I'm watching the series again. And so a lot of stuff you pick up on, oh, this is directly like an homage to this here and that there. It's so weird. I got to be honest. And I feel like maybe I may come across as a hypocrite, David. But there are a lot of things in this movie that are like straight up fan service and like, oh, look at this callback here. Look at this Easter egg there. And like, mm-hmm. I love it. And I so I don't know. There's just there's just a difference because like with Marvel and how they do it, sometimes it comes across as like cynical and like obligatory. Whenever Dragon Ball does it, it always feels like there was actual thought put into it. And somehow, it you know, it it kind of like ties in the stuff thematically in a way at the moment individual as much as it's possibly you know able to so mm-hmm. and it just somehow and because look we're, we're talking about a movie where we have like the grandchildren of like several characters right our main villains are quite literally the children of like old villains you have oh the son of commander red from the red ribbon army you have the grandson of dr Giraud who built uh created cell and the androids you have new androids you have a new spoilers, by the way, spoilers going forward. You have a new cell in the mix here. So it's like there's a lot in here that most franchises do that always irk me and it's never done well. But for whatever reason, this franchise is one of the few that does the thing I ordinarily wouldn't like them to do, but somehow they're able to do it just right enough where I enjoy it completely. And honestly have next to no issues with so usually that's how it is with this franchise and i think with this film 
Um, the same can be said about that. Um, for me, I adore this movie. I really, really adore this film. It brought me so much joy, I couldn't even believe it. Like, the idea that I was just sitting down watching this this on the big screen, um, and of course experiencing it with the audience, was just so much fun. It honestly did feel like an event. Um, so, just so you know, and I, I, I kind of knew I would be this way, this entire discussion would be kind of like, would just be gushing about like all the little things that were in here. But if mm-hmm. I have to be at the top, you know, a movie critic, right? Critical of like, what are the, the film's drawbacks? Not from the standpoint of a fan of Dragon Ball, from the standpoint of a regular movie audience. This movie isn't for you. I'm just going mm-hmm. to put that out there. This movie isn't for you. If, like, if you don't know Dragon Ball, it's not like it won't be entertaining. You're just mm-hmm. not going to appreciate it. Like, kind of not really at all. And it it's a shame that it, it is the way that it is. But be, and, and granted, the film does its best to catch anyone up. Because they go through so much mm-hmm. history and like, you know, here's this person and here's what happened there. And you can kind of read between the lines and that's how you can, you know, find enjoyment in it. But if you're not already invested, particularly with the characters of Gohan and, and, and like Piccolo, you might not get that much out of it. Because like as much as I guess as much as it is like a film in its spectacle and the eventness of it. Because it is a movie that is in the continuity of a long-standing TV series, it can also be – it could also come off as just another big episode of this TV series. And what does that require? It requires you having to know who these people are and what they've been through. And yeah, do they kind of like connect some of those dots for new viewers? Kind of, but if you don't know the history and how much – you know. Gohan means to Piccolo and how much Piccolo, you know, uh, Piccolo means to Gohan. I don't know how much you have to go on, you know, in this movie. Um, Also. The stuff with Goku and Vegeta and them being on Beerus's planet kind of has no business being in this story. It's completely separate. Mm -hmm. I don't give a fuck because I loved it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> I loved I loved all of that and seeing yeah. it and seeing them and all the little like interactions that happen within it and like for me as a longtime viewer of this franchise and of this show it's or it's it's perfectly normal that we jump back and forth to different characters it's fine I'm already so used to it but if you don't know any of them you'll probably be in a place of like what the fuck is this like who who are you and why are we here and what does any of this have to do with what's happening on earth and i know that i mean i guess the 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 tie-in is that you know as as piccolo is like trying to contact you know bulma and all the other people like where's vegeta and where's goku there are mentioned but like the stuff that happens with them is not at all tied into what happens with the main story of this film so there is that other aspect of it um personally i i can't think of too many other drawbacks significantly from a structural standpoint mm-hmm. 
But again, I guess the, the rule is if you're not a fan of this franchise, I would not expect to be as entertained or as appreciative of what this is. So, but for me, oh my God, I loved the spectacle. Mm-hmm. More so, of course, I love the idea that I love Piccolo as a character. He's always been one of my favorites. To see him like inhabit his own film. And most of the, I love the humor. I love all the humor. I'll be real with you. But a lot of the humor does come from not necessarily like gags or punchlines, but just if you know the kind of person Piccolo is and the kind of circumstances he finds himself in in this movie, already like a lot of the humor comes from just that. But just getting to see Piccolo and Gohan have their your, their chance to shine also in, in the action uh, standpoint of it and then basically, spoilers, unlocking like new forms um love it even the the characters that have smaller moments in the film like pan and bulma and krillin um as well as the new characters they introduced some new characters that i actually really enjoyed gamma 2 gamma 1 even dr hedo i believe right hero or hedo dr hedo yeah dr hedo um mm. Even the, the the hilarious uh, Magenta, I think it was Commander Magenta and Carmine, just mm. wacky villains, but uh, kind of believable that it would be in this universe as well. Um, no, they there's very no, there's very little. I don't think I enjoyed in this movie. It's great. Um, we'll get more into depth, but those are my 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 thoughts. I know you had some thoughts, David, but to elaborate on them. I guess just what to you what were some of the drawbacks to the movie? And then also get into overall your what you thought were the strengths or the things that you enjoyed most in Dragon Ball Super Superhero. Mm-hmm. Oh, real quick, just to recap. So you saw the, the original series in high school. Yeah. You saw Dragon Ball, the original, all of, or, it. All of it. Dragon Ball and then I guess we still don't know if you saw Z or Kai. Uh, well, I, I'm pretty sure I saw Z. I didn't watch GT because mm-hmm. I heard it. You was, know, I tried watching it. But oh, kidding. Don't. Yeah, <laughs> some, there are some parts of that show that are decent, but there are large mm-hmm. swaths of it that are hard to get through. Yeah. Um, I'm I'm fairly confident that I saw Z. Mm. Um, I know that clip that you showed me. I was like, "How is that from Kai?" Like, I know right, I saw right. that one, but it was I was watching Z. Right. It was weird. Um, but yeah, I besides GT, I basically watched all okay. of them, and I'm caught up with Super. How many mm-hmm. of the movies have you seen? The movies. And I mean, F- I know you've seen all the new ones, which would be Battle of Gods, Resurrection F, Brawly, and now Superhero. What about the older ones? I know I saw the Broly ones. The original um, Broly like, movies. Yeah. Yeah. Like, I think there might have been three. Um, yeah. I saw those. Um, I saw another one that, that was supposed to take place, um, I think, s- sometime, somehow between, uh, like, uh, Majin Buu. Mm. <laughs> like, it was weird, the timeline. Um, it never makes sense the movies exactly they never do mm-hmm. which is why it always pissed me off and it would yeah. always like take me out of it mm-hmm. um, I feel like there might have been another one but I can't remember right now um, but I mean those movies they were okay yeah um, 
I, really, I feel easily the films that we're getting now are of a much higher caliber. Oh, for sure. Mm-hmm. And they made an effort to mm-hmm. set it on the timeline. <laughs> it, that really does count. Um, but for the movie, um, for superhero, I I don't really think I have any complaints about it. I thought my biggest complaint was going to be the animation because well, yeah, pretty animation. What were you like? Just... The, the things that were like making you nervous, I think you mentioned was the animation on your part. Mm-hmm. That was really the only thing about it. But no, the animation was really good. I I loved the way it looked. I loved the fight scenes and all that. Um, you know, they they really made some cool shots with it and all that. Uh, and it never took me out of it once, honestly. I still, I mean, the animation was still better in um, Broly. Mm. Uh, it was, I mean, I I loved the like it looked, it 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 looked like the original show, like the original Dragon Ball show. Like it just had some sort of texture to it. I don't know how to explain it. Um, the, the only complaint about that one is on Broly is that when it did go to three D animation, it, it was looked, spotty. It was spotty. It it looked. It, that one did take me out of it but this one you know they focused on all of it and all that they added some extra details to it and all that just some like lighting details and all that and they made it they did try to make it look 2D at the same time which was really cool mm-hmm. I really like that um, but yeah I honestly I don't really have any complaints I, I loved what they did with all of it you know they yeah. they wanted to focus on Piccolo and partly Gohan mm-hmm. and they found a way to do that <laughs> you know I mean it was I guess it, to it was, me if I were being it's hard I mean I think legitimately this is more of a criticism than a nitpick but I love so much of what I got I, I and I don't expect you know it to go too deep I know that this is Dragon Ball and you know but I feel like I hope that the success of the film um, allows the pe- the powers that be, you know, that run this franchise, to open the door for more Piccolo and Gohan-centered projects. Because mm-hmm. I do want more of Gohan. And if there's anything yeah. that maybe I felt I could have wanted more of in the movie is Gohan. I love how he was handled. I think he's in the story as much as he needs to be here. But I do want more of Gohan and Piccolo together. Um, and mm-hmm. so part of why I'm not necessarily like dinging it here is because of the promise of what could come in the future for those two uh, going forward. Mm-hmm. But aside from that, yeah. I- yeah, honestly, yeah. Just uh, no complaints for me, honestly. Uh, Piccolo was such a standout for yeah, me. Yeah, man. It's just... It's just so fun to get to see it by himself and all that. Like, what exactly does he do and all that? And we see that he's basically a babysitter for Pan most of the time. Oh, but he, it also reminds you, though, in a way, he's kind of always been a babysitter for a long time. And <laughs> I mean, he's been a babysitter. Here's the thing about, like, the superhero. A lot of things here feel new, but in reality, maybe they haven't always been new. Again... The franchise is so old at this point, people forget certain details. But like Piccolo, and again, this movie, you know, um, makes reference, direct references to like when he used to be other personalities. Like he used to be a different personality called Kami. He also used to be a different personality called King Piccolo. And in Dragon Ball, he was a villain. And then in Dragon Ball Z, he then transitioned into being a hero. But 
functionally speaking, if you look at it, he's kind of always been a babysitter. His first one was technically his first child would be Gohan. That's always the running gag that, you know, fans have of the show, which is like Piccolo has always been more of a father to Gohan than than Goku. Although I would say that doesn't necessarily make Goku a terrible father. I mean, I, I know aspects of which he is terrible as like a parent. But he, um, I, there are moments, if you look for them, where Goku is very loving and tender to his son Gohan. So he's not completely absent, but because it is Goku, he largely is absent. So that's one of the running mm-hmm. things. Yes, David. I was going to say, I saw a review uh, from someone. <laughs> the guy goes, uh, you know, I always thought Goku was a pretty bad dad at, in, in the beginning. But now that I'm a dad, I really think Goku's a shitty dad. <laughs> <laughs> That's basically what we said. And I mean, I agree with you. Like, he is a loving dad. Right. He, like, he'll do anything when for he's his there. kids and all that when he's there. That's the problem, uh, though. He's not always there. <laughs> he's not always there. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. I remember uh, a couple of my friends and I, we went on and on about the ending of GT, how he just, like, straight up left his family. And, I mean, they, were, they probably were dead by, by, like, the ending of GT. And just, you were gone that whole time? Like, were you there when they died? <laughs> yeah, that I'll be honest with you. Um, it it didn't bother me too much. It did bother me, but not too much. When he left them at the end of Dragon Ball Z to go like train Oob and everything. When he left them at the end of GT, while there were emotional aspects to that conclusion... That was like, what the fuck, dude? Why are you always leaving these people? This is your family. These are your friends. They love you. They can't get enough of you. Why are you always leaving them behind? You know? Like, you mm-hmm. can only do that so many times before it's like, dude, why the fuck do we care if you're even here or not? You know? So, yeah, I agree with you. That, to an extent, did leave a sour taste in my mouth when I first experienced that and all those years ago in GT. Um, But, yeah, Goku... I guess that's like part of the folly of his character is like he he's kind um, can be but not always gentle but loves to fight and his love for fighting oftentimes you know goes against his better judgment which includes um, being with his family that being said of course um, not enough is being made about that Vegeta has a lot of the same issues although we do see him, um, again, when he's around, make an attempt. Especially in Super, mm-hmm. you do see him make more of an attempt to be there for Bulma, his newborn daughter, and even Trunks in instances uh, who, you know, his son is still very young. So, again, mm-hmm. I'm not saying Vegeta is as bad as Goku in this department, but you do he, – he's still – like, even Bulma mentions it in this movie when um, – what was it? Uh, she's bitching to Piccolo about Whis stealing his, uh, stealing her husband because she's Vegeta's also gone, <laughs> as mm-hmm. much as Goku is, especially in Super now because they're always off training with Beerus and Whis on their planet. So yeah, but it, it's it's a long-standing thing in the community when we're discussing about Dragon Ball, and that because you know Goku has just been so absent. Piccolo is the one that really had to step in because I mean, Piccolo is the one that trained Gohan. Piccolo is the one that basically was, um, I guess, to me the way you would, you would compare it is, even though part of me feels 
it's wrong to compare. Let's look at Guardians 2. By no means is like Goku anywhere near as bad as Ego as a, a biological father. Because mm-hmm. Goku still is a dad and he still likes being a dad when he's there. His problem is he's hardly ever there. But he tries mm-hmm. when he's there. Ego had his own maniacal plans and mechanizations that were awful. And, of course, we know how that ended. And he killed his own children, I think. We even saw in the movie. But why I draw that comparison with the Guardians, too, is like what Yondu says as he sacrifices himself um, for Peter, Peter Quill. <laughs> which is like, um, he may have been your father, but he wasn't your daddy. Now, there's that, <laughs> there, that is a difference with a distinction. Mm-hmm. As in with, you know, that's the case we have here with, with Piccolo, which is like, he's not his real biological father, but he's, he's his dad for the most part. Um, mm-hmm. And going back to Piccolo's role as a babysitter, like he still kept, he went back into that mode. I just watched this as, as I'm recapping the series, as he's like helping train Trunks and Goten, uh, master the fusion so that they can fight Majin Buu. Yeah. And then here we see him again. Well, we even saw him, you know, taking to Pan as she was a newborn in Super. But then here at the beginning of Superhero, they already have like their own regimen. They already have their own relationship. Uh, Pan uh, with Pickle. Pickle is already training Pan at three years old. Um, hilarious. But, you know, they already got a relationship. And then he's literally like, I mean, more than just functionally being a babysitter. He's even kind of exploited by both um, Gohan and uh, Videl. Although I guess with Videl, I guess she has more of a reason than Gohan. Gohan just seems to be selfishly like indoors and doing his own project, which Mm -hmm. look at the house that he has. doesn't really need to do so. They don't even need to work. Like they're the, they're, they don't, none of them have to work because like they're the, Videl is the daughter of like the richest man on well the second richest man on earth I guess you could say Bulma's the richest person kind of grossly so but they don't have Mm -hmm. to do any of that so obviously Gohan enjoys to be a bookworm and a professor of that sort so he He can balance it he can (laughs) sometimes he doesn't need to Videl is revealed that she's running her own martial arts dojo which is cool cool for her she was always a really cool you know martial artists it's hilarious how Mm -hmm. when you go back and see z she's actually a pretty competent fighter and you wonder where does she get that from because it's not for her (laughs) i mean i guess mr (laughs) satan does know basic martial arts but we never actually see him win a fight Mm -hmm. like not that i know of and he's always been out of his depth um but i love the man but that's a different story but anyway because of that and they're both busy Piccolo is often relied upon to go pick up Pan, so much so that later in the film, when you see Piccolo pick up Pan, he even knows the name of their teacher, Janet. Like, hey, Janet. Like, they already have that. Re- <laughs> remember that? They even have that much rapport between the two of them. I didn't remember that. I did. Oh, the heck? I missed Did that. you really? <laughs> yeah, that's so funny. Oh, my gosh. And then he explained how, like, you know, when, when Pan beat the shit out of that red ribbon guy, he was like, oh, um, Mr. Satan just really wants to, you know, get security right for his granddaughter. Mm. <laughs> I love that part. <laughs> just stranger things. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. You see, that's an example of how enjoyable this, this movie is, particularly. But um, mm. more to the point, part of the humor is literally at this point, 
Bigelow is a glorified babysitter. So much so that one of the first scenes that we see with Gohan, he goes to his house and he's like, what the fuck, man? Why aren't you there for your daughter? Yeah. And like, you know, you know, basically, you know, s- stops short of cussing him out. And then like to like um, poke fun at him for like slacking on the training, you know, punches mm-hmm. him once. Gohan catches it slightly like saying, did you think I would have fall for that? And then doesn't finish the thought because he's punched again. Um, gets the wind blown out of him. And again, it reminds you, Gohan can slack off still, even to stay. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, Wait. yes, go ahead, go ahead. I, I like the joke where he was explaining what he was studying. <laughs> He's like, there's these ants oh, that super we found. <laughs> Say, yeah, that turned gold uh, after, you know, I don't know, getting some sunlight or something. And they go, and he turned into a super say ant. And it's oh such a dumb joke. <laughs> But it's it's good. It's really really good. Oh my god, that that is great. That's a that that's yeah, that's right. I I, I laughed both times when that happened. Um, but then like uh, Piccolo like changes Gohan's clothes to like the gi that Piccolo usually has, and you can see Gohan struggling to stay up. And it's like you you've been poking fun at you know at Gohan. Go uh, Piccolo saying like you didn't seem to have much trouble you know wearing that as a child. Anyway. Uh, from a, by the way, I do want to say this. There, there have been a lot of interesting um, changes to Gohan's design post Dragon Ball Z. Um, for example, for the most part in Super, I think you usually see him wearing like a like a you know a, a you know nice clothes like a, a suit you know looks more like a professor you have him with his glasses and he's like his spiky short spiky hair mm-hmm. um they always made him like dress a little older than he should be and i'm trying to remember the years like gosh i don't even think like gohan was 20 when he married videl like they basically married like right out of high school mm-hmm. um looking at the timeline and videl must have come like Maybe in their mid twenties. I don't. I'm not even sure they qualify as thirty. If I'm being honest with you, in this the timeline of this movie, but mm-hmm. they always made him. They they did make him look older. At least the clothes that he would wear would make him look older than he actually was. But then sometimes the hair would be a bit weird because, like, particularly in Resurrection F, which by the way I'm not really a big fan of Resurrection F. I have some issues with how that was. Uh, to me, Resurrection F is kind of like fan service and really wrong. And with, like, mm. no point or purpose. Like, I wasn't too crazy about um, Piccolo sacrificing himself again uh, for Gohan. Where it was handled better was when Piccolo was almost knocked out or killed in the Tournament of Power. And Gohan stood in the way, the way Piccolo did for him back when uh, Nappa was about to kill them back in the original Dragon Ball Z. I didn't like how he looked in Resurrection. They had, like, this really ugly looking green tracksuit mm-hmm. and then his hair was just like combed a different way i know this is like superficial stuff but i just didn't care i think the look he had in this movie was the best he's had in a long time mm-hmm. like his hair was the right amount of spiky and messy um and i hope they keep that going forward yeah. also I, i'm not sure if i mentioned this but i feel for the most part it was a rather successful jump from 2D to 3D. Um, even just when they were standing, it took a little bit of getting used to. It did feel not right at first because obviously it's not what we're used to. But I think like seeing a lot of the the, the camera 
really got how to play with this new 3D aspect of it from a visual standpoint. Mm. And to me, when the action was happening, you know, the camera had like interesting like um, turns, right? Even like something as simple as when uh, Piccolo arrived at the lookout and like you saw from the distance him landing and Dende coming out to to greet him. Just like, oh, those are nice. Um, and after a while, I got so used to it, I even forgot it was in 3D. So for me, I thought it was it worked really, really well. Now, there are some things that worked not as well. Um, I think uh, for whatever reason, maybe they, they still need to figure out the hair. So, for example, I think with Gohan's hair and even in his later transformations, it worked really, really well. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if they saved money because of how little Goku and Vegeta were in it, but or maybe because there were so there there weren't as much in the movie, I didn't get used to it, but them particularly I think need a bit more work if we're going to continue with like 3D movies, mm-hmm. uh 3D animation movies. Like it was fine, but there was just there was something about them that didn't their character designs in this three-dimension aspect that didn't work as well as some of the other ones. I think Beerus was perfect. I mean, because then again, he's not like... He's sort of emotionless, so there's not really much to do. (laughs) Also, it's like, it's a cat. Like, I don't know, like, but with, I mean, but with Goku and Vegeta, they have such, like, signature hair Mm -hmm. that didn't look all the way right, so there was some roughness to it, Mm -hmm. but that's just me. Your thoughts? I honestly didn't notice it. I didn't notice the hair... Um, any hair problems at all? Mm-hmm. So uh, I, I honestly, I, I don't know what you're, <laughs> what anyone was talking about that right, right. video and all that. But I mean, yeah, I mean, yeah. Like I said, like I really don't have much complaints about this. Movie. Oh, did you? Uh, did you watch the podcast I sent over? Yeah, I saw. Uh, it. Okay, it was a really nice discussion. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, I loved it, and it really just got me more into the movie. I know that there were some issues that they had with it. Of course, every, every Dragon Ball fan has their own issues. Oh yeah. But I, I, I did send over. I believe they're the guys who are very well known for uh, Dragon Ball Z abridged on YouTube. Mm-hmm. Um, I believe they're called. I'm looking up the video right now. They are called uh, Four Star Bento. That's the channel, and they had a podcast review of Dragon Ball Super uh, Superhero. I enjoyed that podcast because you could tell that, despite I guess some of their problems with it, they loved it and they, mm-hmm. and they really enjoyed it. And just it's just really infectious getting into speaking of this movie and what happened in it. Mm-hmm. Um, but more or less, the gist is the Red Ribbon Army has come back through the. Children and grandchildren of some of their established icons, Dr. Jero and Commander Red. Here we have Magenta, who is basically just Red again. Um, you have a really funny, like, side villain, his uh, Carmine with like, the wavy hair. Mm-hmm. Reminds you of Johnny Bravo from Cartoon Network for the <laughs> most part. Even funny little gag is there's like a bubble on the car that he drives because his hair is so long. Mm-hmm. Um, then Dr. Hitto. I was so surprised with the overall direction they took with his character and also with how much I liked him. Mm-hmm. Um, he was very likable. Yeah. And I guess where I was surprised, and again, remember spoilers here, but this is the grandson of Dr. Jero, and Dr. Jero was a maniac, psychopath, who created like androids to kill everything. Dr. Hedo is 
has a couple of screws loose. Yeah. Screws like I mean, he he brought back some corpses. He mm-hmm. reanimated corpses because he wanted to show how talented he was, and it ended mm-hmm. up like backfiring because he was incarcerated because of that. But he's not evil. Mm-hmm. He's not really that bad of a guy. Yeah, he's just a bit misguided, and so he's very much inspired by the whole superhero aesthetic, and. He does just that. He creates androids to be superheroes. He like he legitimately thinks himself as the good guy because he wants to be a good guy. And so that's a clever twist on top of the idea that and I love the first 10 minutes for various reasons. First of all, the recap of Dragon Ball in that beautiful 2D animation, the little that we do see here. Oh, it was nice. Mm-hmm. Oh my god, so nice. Mm-hmm. Um but it was so funny. The ideas that they concocted in their minds uh, for like the conspiracy <laughs> that was going on. The Capsule Corporation led by the evil Bulma. And that she was like evidently like preparing the world for like uh, an alien invasion. And how they, they would like piece together like certain like um, footage like, for example, they had, like, somebody, I guess, was around to record a video of Future Trunks killing Frieza back in Dragon Ball Z. I believe that's what it was. At the same time, um, they claimed that there were reports of, like, strange people flying in and out of Capsule Corp. And, and it, I was dying on the inside because I always thought, especially in Super is where it got a bit ridiculous, Whis and Beerus would fly in and out of there so many times Mm -hmm. paying no mind whatsoever to who the fuck would be around to see it but if it it, when you think about it's like yeah wouldn't people be literally in west city seeing like a fucking cat and some blue person fly out of the sky continuously in and out i mean not only that but like how many times have they summoned the dragon balls there (laughs) (laughs) i think i don't know if it was in the show or maybe it was in broly but like you know, they summon the Dragon Balls, uh, the dragon, and like you see someone like on the outside going, "Oh, there's that Capsule Corp again doing all their weird They're stuff." They're so used that. to it at this point, it, yeah. And it, it wasn't just one; there were two dragons. So Shenron, which is the main dragon that we see here, but also Perunga, the Namekian dragon, uh, for the Dragon Balls, he was summoned at Capsule Corporation as well mm-hmm. after the Frieza arc. Remember when the Namics were moved over to Earth after their planet exploded, and they used Perunga to bring back certain of their friends back to life. Mm-hmm. So, <laughs> Sorry, I forgot that was the name of the dragon. Perunga. Well, Perunga. So <laughs> 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 yeah, it's, it's a lot of comedy here on Dragon Ball. Oh, yeah. um, but just like the whole notion, like, like Bulma was running this conspiracy... Oh my god, I loved it. I loved mm-hmm. it. I loved it. And so what yeah, go ahead, David. I was just gonna say I also like love the fact that, you know, there who knows how many other conspiracy theories are there about yeah. them and all that. And I've always and that was something I've always wondered too. It's like, what does everyone think about what's going on with that particular And group? what's happened, mm-hmm. especially? <laughs> it's so funny, you know? And also I wanna say that I, I, I did have a really good time watching this movie, and I was so thankful for my friend Julio. He's been on the show before. He drove down to go see it with me. Hmm. And it was just so fun because like, he and I are huge fans of this uh, franchise. And um, 
One of the things why I've always loved Mr. Satan as a character, and I think it also goes into like what Toriyama, I feel personally feels of our society, you know, as in a globalized society. Um, if you really think about it in how like the populace of, you know, Dragon Ball's Earth and how gullible and downright buffoonish most of the population can tend to be. Mm-hmm. Again, think of the history of this franchise. The the people of Earth, after being annihilated completely by Majin Buu, flat out refused to listen to either the voices of Goku or Vegeta to form an ultimate dragon um, spirit bomb that would eradicate Majin Buu. They flat out ignored that after... All of them dying and being brought back and went about their day. Mm-hmm. And it took Mr. Satan to go, you know, and and yell at all the earth at once. What are you people doing? Raise your hands up. And then when people realized it was Mr. Satan, they were like, uh, you know, the music kicked in like, Mr. Satan. And they all like immediately were like, oh, yeah, that's him. I'm going to raise my hands up because we all love him. He's a world mm-hmm. champion. And I always thought like for me, well – it just goes to show you that that was the point overall of um, Hercules' cult in a way. It's like, oh, this is a decent guy. Like at first when this whole thing happens, like, oh, man, this guy is so infuriating and so buffoonish. Why are we spending so much time with him? But no, he's the last human and he saved the earth. He saved humanity uh, through his cult. And when you think about it, no matter what happens, no matter how obvious it looks like this guy's a phony, they still are with him. Mm-hmm. Although I would say, like, they're not all too aware of how, you know, ordinary Hercule is. I think even Magenta says it, though, on the, like, when well, he's... Well, Magenta is, like, he... Magenta is not of the mind that Hercule is a phony, but I did hear him say, like, it's not too... They're not too sure how strong he is, mm-hmm. but they're on. But I don't think he, he refers to Magenta. I mean, I don't think Magenta <laughs> refers to Hercule as like a phony. Mm-hmm. They're just like hilariously. It's like they don't know how strong he is, but that's I can't think the point of the joke is well, he's not that strong at all to begin with. At least we know that the audience they don't know that. But when you think about it, Hercule Satan is really the good version of Donald Trump because we live in a time where Donald Trump commands a horde of people to do whatever he wants them to do Mm. and they'll do it and they'll love making him happy. It's just like, and it's just so to me interesting how Toriyama saw a lot of the population in that light back in the early 1990s. And then when it came to the mid to late 2010s, there would be a president on the planet that would kind of be like that. Like, I mean, Donald Trump is as phony as they come to me. Donald Trump is the best con man there ever was and still is. Because <laughs> um, he's able to make money left and right off of scamming people, but he does it for malicious intent. Um, whereas Hercule is actually a decent guy. Mm-hmm. And so... I, that's just a tangent, but I wanted to, to comment on that. Um, but that is to say, I love the new characters. Doctor Doctor Hedo was really like humorous 
and kind of like childlike. The whole th- look, this is some of the best product placement because you hardly notice it, but it's so funny with the Oreos. Mm-hmm. Just re- God damn, how many Oreos would, would that man eat? Mm-hmm. Constantly replenishing it, like to the extent where it's like, you should be sick, <laughs> like yeah. legitimately with how like. Look, I love Oreos. Who doesn't love Oreos? But like, mm-hmm. at a certain point, if you don't stop it, you're gonna throw up. I don't know yeah. how he was able to do it. That was I love the way Magenta presented it to him. Like, right. Let's talk. You know, it just opens it up. It's right. like you would think it would be like cigarettes or something. Right. <laughs> Oreos. And then when he runs out, he just like presses a button. It's like more Oreos. Here you go. Exactly. Like, I can get you whatever you want. Exactly. Exactly. No, I loved it. <laughs> um, but no, even the personalities that were given to Gamma 1 and Gamma 2. Great stuff. I love the cocky attitude that Gamma 2 had. He was the, the one with the blue, I think, scarf, mm. whatever, that faced off against Piccolo. And then, of course, it was Gamma 1, who was much more reserved. And the second – I watched it twice, by the way, uh, just because I went – there were some things that happened in the background that I wasn't noticing as much because I was, like, so zeroed in on the dialogue. So when, like, Hedo and um, Magenta are, like, arguing about um, using Cell Max or not, that's another thing. In the background, um, Gamma 1 and Gamma 2 are, like, getting into it because, like – Gamma 1 does not like having Gamma 2, like, rest on his shoulder. And so, like, every time Gamma 2 attempts to do so, he, like, pushes him and brushes him off. Mm-hmm. And, like, you see that in the background. You don't hear it, but you see them, like, get into it. Like, hey, what the fuck, man? You know, something <laughs> like that. Uh, so, there's a lot of things that happen in the background that I really enjoyed. Yes, David? My favorite my favorite one was that it was when he, Gamma 2 was fighting Piccolo. And at one point, he, like, punches him in the face or something. Oh, and yes, that, goes, yes, yes. <laughs> Piccolo goes... How do I see his punches? I got to understand. Well, <laughs> you know? Actually, the, the, the particular, I think I have it right here because that, dude, this was such a, you know, obviously noteworthy moment. Maybe I don't have it here, but I think, uh, why can't I see his sound effects? I think is the line. Oh, yeah. Why can't I see his sound effects? Because when yeah, he was yeah, punching, yeah. when Gamma 2 was punching uh, Piccolo, you see, like a superhero, you we as the audience see and hear those sound effects and then mm-hmm. piccolo cleverly on the moment like again a great script great dialogue just witty as well just saying like why can't i see his sound effects <laughs> yeah and then later on you know they're at the red ribbon headquarters and you see gamma 2 like posing and stuff and you see a hologram right behind him where it's like bam or something or whoosh and all that it's like oh he has a hologram the whole time and that's how you was able to see it that was just that was so clever. It's super quick too. Like mm-hmm. blink and you'll miss it. Exactly. But if you notice it though, it's super fucking funny. No, a number of visual gags that again, like it's not you know, they don't stop the movie to bring attention to it. But also Carmine, who was like Magenta's right hand man, the go with the hair. Um, mm-hmm. Whenever he has like presentations, like I think he like it's like Carmine Productions or like you can tell how much effort he puts. <laughs> <laughs> into like cutting this footage together so that's that's funny in and of itself speaking of visual gags oh my god i loved and again like um this obviously you know piccolo in some ways is a man of a certain age and so you know our relatives sometimes when they hold a phone and they're having a facetime mm-hmm. call the way piccolo holds his phone just like you can tell that the way that he holds his phone is in some ways he's in contempt and in utter disgust that he has to have one of these things. Mm-hmm. But the way that he holds it is just so boomer-like. It's like 
at a distance, but then also at the same time when he holds it up, um, his face is so like, ab- like absurdly like zoomed in. Um, like you see like most of his face on the screen <laughs> instead of like how it normally should be with most people when they hold the phone. So again, the visual gags here are great. And then also his phone case is that of a, was it a plushie? Yeah. A little, like a little, and then if, I think, I think it's established that even though every time he refuses to admit that he likes them, I think he kind of likes them because he has a little mm-hmm. collection on a shelf somewhere in his home that we see. And I love how Vidal seemingly like feels like she can bribe him with like, I'll get you one of those plushies that you like. And then he's <laughs> like, I don't like them. One was enough. Although he, he's pretty clear he likes them. <laughs> yeah. It's, it was nice. It was adorable. <laughs> it really is. And it's mm-hmm. just like, this is a side of Piccolo we hardly get to see. Mm-hmm. So it, no, it, it really is the soft side that like I enjoyed the most about it. Right. Especially when they came with Pan and uh-huh. like, when he had to kidnap her. Right. <laughs> the moment where she was pretending to like be afraid and all that, you see Piccolo in the background going like, you're doing great. Let's just keep going. <laughs> <laughs> Even when like Gohan's going all at it, um, when he meets him for the ransom, and I think even in the background, you see like Pan tried to do a fist bump to Piccolo. He's like, "What? Oh, oh!" And then they fist bump. Um, yeah. So so good. Or even Piccolo when he infiltrates the Red Ribbon Army, man, and like he gets into into like in, in uniform, and like he forgets that his helmet isn't all the way on, and so like people ask him like, "Why are you green?" And then he passes it off like as a stomach issue. Um, and then even when they. When one of the guys, like, questions him, why do you know so much about them? Mm. When, like, <laughs> they go to Gohan's house to knock on his door and he's like, oh, he's not going to answer. Just come by the window. So, <laughs> so funny. Oh, man. I loved it. Um, but it's also from a different aspect of it. Um, the nature of it. You know, the usual, quote, unquote, badass of it all. Um when uh, Gohan shows up uh, to the ransom, so he's like Gohan and Piccolo, Gohan, and the other guy are in the helicopter, I think, or the the airplane. Mm-hmm. Gohan doesn't even fucking give him the courtesy to land. He fucking just blasts the fuck out of that airplane, and that landing, one of the best superhero landings I've ever seen. Mm-hmm. Like, I know that my my audiences were like, "Whoa!" And, and like getting pumped up mm-hmm. when that moment happened. It was great, uh, really, really nice there. Uh, it was also uh, I don't want to like you know piggyback too much with the humor, but there's just so much to pick from. But um, quickly, oh my god, uh, the idea that Bulma used the Dragon Ball. Well, first of all, the idea that Bulma has a group of people that now collect the Dragon Balls periodically because it's oftentimes have been has fallen in the wrong hands. Actually pretty good on her to do so because mm-hmm. I think in Resurrection F they use the Earth's Dragon Balls to resurrect Frieza. And so that's not good. Mm-hmm. So they had to like regularly the fact that she has a team that regularly like collects them is good. But then the selfishness of her was like she uses the Eternal Dragon to perform cosmetic surgery on her. And there in lies also 
a bit of question. Like, she's supposed to be in her mid-40s, I want to say, at this point. Maybe even late 40s or early 50s. But yet, she looks a bit younger than she should. I guess that explains why. <laughs> Is that she uses the Dragon Balls to make herself look younger. I mean, she literally wishes the dragon to give her the butt of, like, a college-age person, which is... Mm-hmm. Oh god! Oh, so funny and so perfect. It makes so much sense for who that character is. You just yeah, buy it, sure. man. You really do. Also, I like it though. After they made their wishes, and she goes, "Oh wait, we should have used the wishes to bring back Goku and Vegeta." And then even Piccolo was like, "Oh crap, I forgot too." <laughs> but but I mean, they 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 did use the wish to unlock a hidden power within Piccolo, which you know, to an mm-hmm. extent, I guess like is well i guess overdue at this point go piccolo has been long overdue for a power up so mm-hmm. when he does do the power up um at first you're like there's no way that's it is it because you know you had a question of the poster for a long time like why does piccolo's skin have a different like shading to him well that's why the, the first stage of his power up is that mm-hmm. um and again if you're familiar with dragon ball how you identify certain power-ups, they just change the colors. <laughs> so yeah. that that that's the trick that they do. Um, that wasn't the the full extent of it, because then mm-hmm. there's the 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 true like unlocked form, which is like um, orange Piccolo, dude. The unveiling of that transformation, the music attached to it as well, and just visually how it's presented as it's unlocked. Oh my mm-hmm. god. I think yeah. my jaw was on the floor. I was like, damn, this looks amazing. And it, it almost like feels like it's borrowing from like, it, he almost looks like a demon uh, with mm-hmm. like how great he looks like. And again, that's, you know, the inspiration for his original design, King Piccolo, you know, the demon king. Um, dude, it looked amazing. Yeah. And I think this is, no. this is one of the designs where the 3D animation actually enhanced how well it looked. I loved it. Mm-hmm. No, yeah, um, I was really happy that Piccolo got like a power up, um, in the movie and all that. Cause honestly, I wish all the characters can have some kind of power up, even Krillin, honestly. Like, I know he's supposed to be like the smart one in the group and all that. Like, he's very strategic and all that. But I would wish, like, can humanity get like a power right, up? Right, right. <laughs> Too, like some kind of super. Not just thing. the aliens, but are the Sands and the Namics and all the other people. I will say. Mm-hmm. For how little Krillin there is here and for how much fun they poke at him in the movie, it's funny. When Bulma, like, you know, arrives with, like, uh, a group of fighters and she's like, all right, I rounded up the best fighters on Earth. Oh, and Krillin's here. God, what a burn. (laughs) But, but, Krillin always gets the chance to prove his worth where... He did save Bulma and Pan from the destruction that was happening. And he also got a few licks in there with his Destructo disc and like Solar Flare moves, uh, moves being very um, uh, pivotal in the overall, you know, confrontation with uh, Cell Max. So, yeah, you get a little bit of Krillin, you get a little bit of self-deprecation, but you also get him proving his worth, which I also do appreciate. But I think you're right. We, we, I think we do need some room for some other characters to get some power-ups as well. Then again, more to the point, it had been a long time since Gohan and Piccolo have had power-ups, so this is why we're getting them first here. But mm-hmm. no, I love it, and the more I look of it, I, the more I look at it, the more I really do love the orange Piccolo design. Um, and how it it was unveiled, oh my god, it was perfect. 
Mm-hmm. Um, I will yes. say he is a bit too muscular, but sure. that's just me. But other than that, I mean, it's, it does it's look really weird, cool. right? Like it, you're just yeah. not used to seeing it this way. I have a mm-hmm. sneaking suspicion that the more it's used and the more it's brought out, the more we'll adjust, and we're not yeah, really going to sure. have much of an issue with it. But yeah, um, I, I do see that. Now then comes um, I've heard several names: Final Gohan, Gohan Blanco, and then also Gohan Beast Mode. So. I'm not really overly in love with any of them, um, mm-hmm. personally, but I don't really care for a name. I just, I, I more so care about the design of it. Yeah. So I really like this. I know, I guess in some angle, it's a bit cartoonish how long the hair of it is, but then don't forget how absurdly long the super, the hair for the Super Saiyan 3 transformation was. No. I, think you can, I don't think you can top how absurdly long that was. Yeah, but what sure. I do love about this design is that, again, you can tell that they were really trying to, like, make it up to Gohan fans. Because they felt like they've been pushed aside for a long time. But this character was pushed aside for a long time. That the hair, I love the white. It's a great balance to, like, the, the purple key he has on. I'm looking at it right mm-hmm. now. But, like, the hair that he has is just a longer version of... The, the Super Saiyan 2 form that he had in Cell, which is what most of his fans really think of as the definitive look for Gohan. And so mm-hmm. as it's activated here, um, and again, you get a little bit of that Saiyan ego introduced back into him. It's been a while for him to like have used that. Um, it worked for me, honestly, exceedingly well. I don't know your thoughts of the Gohan transformation. Uh, I I really liked it. Um, at first, I thought I was like a little bit goofy, only sure. because the gray and like the longer hair of it. Uh huh. <laughs> I don't know if you ever like looked online of people like fan made Super Saiyan five. Uh, oh, I no, know, I don't goofy. think I, I've seen it. It's just you know, there's like these old ones like came out when Dragon Ball Z was out and all that. <laughs> it's just people. It's basically Super Saiyan three. No, no, Super Saiyan four. But it's like a white hair everywhere and all that. Like it just, it, I don't know why. It just, it made me think of that, and I was like, and I just found it funny, <laughs> right? Yeah. But uh, by the end of it, by the end of the movie, though, I was, um, I was really into it. I thought it looked really, really cool. No, yeah, I, I, I loved it too. I, I, I love the little like piece of hair in the front, with most of the hair in the back. Mm-hmm. I don't know why it just works really well. And then watching him in action, oh my god. To a point, it kind of got a bit excessive where, like, it was blinding. Like, I couldn't tell what was going on in some of those moments because it was just too flashy. Mm-hmm. But it was it looked beautiful. Yeah. <laughs> which sure. is what counts there. I will say with Cell Max, I think it works really well with him being a kaiju-like monster here. Um, more so than, like, just having Cell back because mm-hmm. that would be kind of annoying because, like, we don't need to bring everybody back, you know? Yeah. Um, and I, I, oh, yeah. It's better to make him, like, a full-on monster because I exactly. wouldn't want him to have talked in that moment. Exactly. we don't know what he's yeah. going to say. We don't know who this... Or do we care at that point either? Yeah. It's like him being, like, a kaiju monster worked really well. I loved, again, Krillin proving his worth here, like, reminding Piccolo, dude, get big. Remember, you used to get really big when you fought Goku the first time at the martial arts tournament. Didn't do anything for his strength, but it sure made for a visual feast mm-hmm. seeing like a kaiju uh, Piccolo and a kaiju Cell Max. That was a really great thing to see here. And of course, like Gohan's um, new form was unlocked with like 
some really brutal moments with like Cell Max just like basically all but kills Piccolo. Mm-hmm. At least visually, you do see that there. And of course, that's what always gets Gohan to go to the next level is like his love for Piccolo. And they got me because I thought they were going to kill Piccolo in one moment where like Piccolo is like using his arms to like hold down Cell Max while, um, as an homage to Piccolo himself, Gohan is like powering up the special beam cannon. That's like Piccolo's signature attack there. Mm-hmm. But of course, if you you know your Dragon Ball, you know that was used. Um, Piccolo used that as Goku was holding back Raditz. Uh, but then, of course, Goku sacrificed himself just to get the win there as like Piccolo charged that cannon through Raditz and Go- Goku. And I thought what was going to happen here was like, oh no. It's like Gohan's going to have to like sever that cannon through Cell Max, but then also through Piccolo. I thought that's what they were setting up there. And I was thankful that's not what happened. Not because it wouldn't have worked emotionally, but because mm-hmm. I would have been sad to have seen Piccolo be killed off. Yeah. And the options after that, well, either they would have brought him back via Dragon Balls, which would have cheapened the death. But if the death did did take, then it would have been like a waste. Well, you had a whole new form you unlocked, but then you kill him and you're never going to see it again. So either way, I'm happy that's not what happened. Mm-hmm. But it was just cool to see Yeah, overall for the most part. It's just really at the end of the day, Dragon Ball just comes down to it being cool. And it very much was that case. I thought the action was very well done here yeah. uh, by and large. Um, that's about it. I will say though, uh, the stuff that was on Beerus's planet was entertaining. Whis and Beerus, I think, continue to be characters that are very welcomed here. Um, I thought it was funny the idea that for the first time, um, we we know, even though he won't admit, why it is he likes a particular person here. <laughs> and I thought that was handled very well and pretty, and it made everybody yeah. laugh because that we had never seen that from Beerus before. Mm-hmm. Um, but then of course we see like Goku and Vegeta have their rematch. Of course, they're not allowed to transform. There are no like key blasts. They're just like punching basically. And we don't see how that ends until of course the post credit that comes up. And of course the gag is that finally, uh, Vegeta got like his chance to win barely. Barely. I mean, just barely winning, but like he was the last man standing technically. So by tournament rules that would mean win um and i love how off in the distance we see the chef guy and broly just like crying tears of joy like <laughs> you know i guess commenting on like what ultra fanboys would be like mm. also vegeta fanboys particularly would be like finally witnessing this moment after almost 35 years or whatever of dragon ball history and you see like vegeta get a win officially technically um, on uh, uh, over Goku, and that was fun to see. And yeah, yeah it was nice to Vegeta has earned it. I would say oh, at this yeah, point sure. to have a win, <laughs> more than earned it. So yeah, man, I I love this movie, and there was just a lot of little, you know, small things in in that obviously have like I think uh, prove that we loved it. Anything else that you want to say about the, the film? Any lingering thoughts of Dragon Ball Super Superhero? Personally. I uh, I hope we get more movies because I think they've been pretty good so far. Oh yeah, I think their movies have been the thing that've been killing it the most. Uh, I, I mean, as, as much as I love the Tournament of Power, like the movies have just always been more entertaining in a way. Mm. Uh, 
But yeah, no, this is just a really funny movie, and I want more movies with Piccolo and Gohan. Oh, actually, I didn't get to mention um, what I really like the most about this movie is how they went about their whole situation. I guess because it was if it was Goku and Vegeta, like it would just would have been straight up fighting the whole entire yeah. time. But no, this one Piccolo he snuck in, trying to investigate, get all the information he get he mm-hmm. can get. And then it, it wasn't all fit. action the entire time. Yeah. There was a story going on here, and a lot of intrigue, shall we say, mm-hmm. that provided for a lot of uh, wonderful character interactions along the way. So it's like, for as much as Dragon Ball is known as like, oh, it's always action, and I take that Broly had a lot of action most of the time going on. Yeah. Um, with superhero, you had more of a balance, I would say. Yeah, and I would, I would love it if um they make like another Piccolo Gohan. Uh, movie like really show us Gohan's brains into work you know like what can he do that's different from Goku and Vegeta if anything how well this has performed you know from box office standpoint I hope that you know communicates to the team that's running you know all the projects we want more Gohan we want more Piccolo Mm -hmm. hell make a feel free to do a superhero too (laughs) why not (laughs) yeah why not you know just just go for it. Just more Gohan, more Piccolo, and I think we'll be just fine. And I think it's reminded me, like, so old this franchise is and yet so alive mm-hmm. and so vital it remains. And for however um, however uh, old it is, it has remained kind of true to what it always was in the first place. It hasn't lost its way. Yeah. There have been lows, but it's <laughs> also reached new highs. And that's I think the sign and considering how many people you know showed up to support it the sign of a healthy franchise Mm -hmm. anyway we're on three hours now we're gonna get out of here thank you David for being here great discussion great podcast our show every single Sunday Um, and we will see you next time bye bye bye